I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Alana Karma again. Alana is a 22-year-old survivor, phoenix, and hyperdimensional immortal alien. Since our last conversation 16 months ago, she endured a horrific car accident that left her in a coma without the use of her left side and memory issues because of massive brain swelling. Now, just under a year since the crash, she is recovering function and learning new skills. During this conversation, we cover the long road between the accident and now, why these events might turn her into a better teacher, and how she has learned to appreciate her left side glitches. Before we talk more about Alana and this really great story that uh, of of what she's experienced, I want to talk about my long form Sundays posts over the past uh, couple of years. So that since the first Anatomy Lab to now, I've written reflections every week of my medical school experiences, um, and uh, to now the uh, start of my fourth year. So most uh, a little bit recently on July twenty second, twenty eighteen, I published on the taper or one day to step two. This week, I reflect on. I reflected on the coming attraction, step two. I have consciously tapered my studying to peak my test-taking abilities for tomorrow's eight-hour marathon. Now I just need to run the race. Then, more recently, on July 29th, 2018, I published On the Other Side again, or six days since step two. This week, I reflected on the end of a long, long grind. With the end of step two, I have taken the past week to, to catch my breath and unwind for the first time since third year began. Now I feel ready for the next stage of transition, applying to residencies and the third trimester for baby. Anyway, back to Alana. Oh, anyway, uh, you can find all my long-form Sundays posts as well as all of the uh, interviews for On Death at mnmwod.com. That is Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day, mnmwod.com. So back to Alana. Alana is definitely a hyperdimensional immortal alien, surviving every day, taking it one day at a time, and a phoenix. Before Alana dies, she wants to see the world evolve and make significant progress toward advancing as a community, and to accomplish getting more skilled at silks and fire spinning than she was before. When Alana dies, she wants to have inspired people that, she, that knew her to be the phoenix versions of themselves, and to gracefully walk forth into it. After Alana dies, she wants people to be influenced by her story, to have some impact on individual souls in this way, for the earth to be revived, and for the earth to transcend its current state. And in conclusion, Alana says, I just want to thank you all for doing your, doing your thing and living and existing. I truly hope that maybe today or maybe tomorrow you decide to be the better version of yourself and make the best choices and make the choices that benefit the greater whole not just yourself. Make better choices, basically. Feel better, do good things, give to somebody, tell somebody you love them, tell them your feels, pursue happiness. Remember that today or tomorrow might be your last day. You don't really know. And may Mother Gaia bless your experience on this earth. So uh, this was a really great conversation. And I mean, the story of, of, of uh, you know, the first interview uh, when she was like 20, 
two, 21 or 20, and, uh, no, you know, she, it was such a cerebral conversation. We were talking about ideas and, like, the Internet and all these, this really fun, really, it was a really great conversation, and I highly recommend you listen to it, so much so that I have actually included it at the end of this interview. So you don't even need to go anywhere else. You can uh, just continue listening on if you hadn't heard the first one, or you can just jump ahead uh, probably, like, an hour and a half. You'll, you'll kind of get it. I'll, I'll make it obvious where, where the transition is. Uh, and uh, the the difference between the two conversations is startling, and I think that's something that uh, is a reflection of the fact that these conversations, these interviews, are really just a snapshot in time. They are uh, one person on one particular day having a conversation with one other person, me. And um, it's a really interesting way to sort of gauge the progress through time is the, the difference in the conversation. She sounds different. She talks slower. Um, and uh, we also did this interview over the Internet. So we and uh, she saw me, but I wasn't able to see her. So it was also interesting in terms of me being unable to read her body language and knowing what she's going through as she's talking. Um, and she also had her mother on the line on the other side. So that was also an interesting thing. And also the, the, the relationship of her and her mother has uh, obviously strengthened so much as a result of this, of, uh, of this accident. And you can hear it in the way that she, she refers to her mother, the things that her mother says, the, the way that uh, her mother – like, uh, we, we have a break for our technical difficulties uh, during the interview. And uh, when we come back, uh, she has all the she she kind of comes back with these stories uh, that her mother prompted her to to tell us, uh, which are great stories. Uh, but we it, rather than kind of going back exactly on where we were when we interrupted, it was just it's just interesting and the the, uh, uh, the the transition from you know adults back to almost a child, uh, where she's having her first words again. She's she's walking again. She's taking her first steps again for the first time, and she's having her mother be such a supportive you know mother for her uh through this really difficult trying time and it's just it's just very fascinating on many levels and uh, we talk about some really good stuff um we talk about her uh we she w the way we start the interview is almost like a uh uh, a medical history, um, but it's it's from the perspective of a very informed uh, layperson. So it's 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 really really interesting to hear her, you know, lay out the steps and and the procedures that she un she went through, um, without the 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 jargon that I'm used to hearing, uh, the the medical jargon that I'm used to hearing. She she uses some of it, but she doesn't. S space it in that way so it's very, it was really interesting because it's a really great history of what happened to her from the accident to basically a couple uh since getting discharged from uh inpatient rehab and it's just really it's a really great story and uh, it's just i just thought was really enamored by the fact that it's like a, a normal person telling a really detailed medical history uh, and then we also talk about um taking things for granted like raising your hand and uh and then we also dig into a little bit in like for me i think it was it was really interesting you know she's talking about trying to move forward trying to regain what she's lost um and then she also has this kind of like stand when she talks about like the old guy uh, that uh, caused the accident and the the discrepancy, you know, he, this guy spent uh, far less time as a result of the accident than she did, and um, and I ask her, and maybe it was a little bit too direct of a question, but asking her like, can she or will she be able to forgive the person, uh, the guy for uh, causing the accident? And I think it was really interesting that, uh, and I think it's very telling about how soon, how recent this accident is, and how much she's still actively uh, re recovering and recuperating from the accident that she says um, uh, that she 
will, might be able to forgive him once she gets to where she was. And it's like a very contingent, very uh, like if-then sort of forgiveness. And I think that's a very interesting thing. And I wonder uh, how that will change over the next five or ten years. Um, maybe she recovers everything, maybe she doesn't. But with, with a little bit more time, a little bit more distance, and uh, a little perspective on, on what has happened to her. And maybe she's teaching again. Uh, maybe she's back to the sulks. Who knows where she's at? Uh, but this was a really great conversation, and I, I think that um, this is something that I would like to continue doing, these sort of checkups on people as they have uh, large, you know, earth-shattering, like earth -shattering, world changing life-altering experiences um, between the interviews. And uh, well, the next one that I think you have to look forward to is myself and my partner, Mackenzie, as we have our child, you know, because childbirth is such a weird thing, and raising kids is such a weird transition state. So... Anyway, uh, I hope that you don't mind me rambling a whole lot about uh, Alana and this story, but I really think that you, if you haven't listened to the first one, you really should jump ahead like an hour and a half, uh, and then you can kind of find out where it is, because I don't know exactly how long I've been rambling for anyway. Uh, and uh, listen to that first conversation, or maybe you just listen to this this update, knowing where she has been, and then you can listen to the first interview, knowing where she will go, and just that interesting space. So, uh, however you want to, uh, you know, learn the saga of Alana, it's up to you. Uh, but I hope that you have uh, something ready to uh, maybe some coffee, some tea, some water, or a nice walk ahead of you uh, as you listen to this really great conversation with Alana Karma on death again. It is July 25th, 2018, and I am sitting here in my Coopersburg home, and Alana Karma is sitting in her Sarasota, Florida home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Alana, what are the four prompts? The four prompts are one, I am, two, before I die, three, when I die, and four, after I die. Great. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? Well, I am definitely a hyperdimensional immortal alien. Mm. And um, I am existing on this fifth or third dimensional planetary existence, surviving every day, taking it one step or one day at a time. I mean, that's all I really can do is take it a day at a time because you never know what day is going to be your last day. Mm -hmm. And so what, uh, what does it mean to definitely be a hyperdimensional being on this third uh, three-dimensional uh, reality? Well, I have learned that I am a phoenix. I went through this burn where I was burned down to pretty much nothing. And I am rising from the ashes to become even better than I was before. And what uh, what was that experience uh, like? What 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 does what is okay? There are two parts to that. What was this experience of burning? And what was what what do you mean by better than before? Like what what would that be like? What in what ways would you be better? Okay, well. Last October, I don't know how many months after April that was. About six. Okay, so six months after my last interview, mm -hmm. I got in a really, really awful car accident. 
where I was leaving my friend's house. I made it to the end of her street, but not even to the next street. I was turning left and a 92 year old man like T-boned my driver's side of my car so I'd make it to the next street. And um, it was terrible in a lot of ways, but I was immediately in a coma after I got hit for 18 days. The jaws of life were needed to pull me out of my vehicle because it was just crushed in every doorway. It was just crushed. So I needed the jaws of life to get me out of the car. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, was in a coma. And then I was anoxic for 25 minutes, which means that there was no brain to my no oxygen oxygen to my brain, except I took one big breath every one of those 25 minutes. And obviously I still have brain capacity <laughs> since I'm able to do this interview. And then I was in the ICU for three and a half weeks. My pelvis was broken in six places from my seatbelt, which <laughs> thank God I was wearing my seatbelt. Otherwise I would have gotten thrown out the front of my windshield which probably would have been a lot worse than I am now. So, I mean, if I had to break my pelvis in six places and I couldn't walk for three months, like, eh, whatever. <laughs> so I also had some broken ribs and um, I had my, my lung on my right side collapsed. And then I had, my, I had a splenectomy, which means that my spleen was removed. I had bladder surgery. And my brain was so swollen, and I had 25 staples in the side of my head because I guess it was cut by probably the window. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. And then I was on a ventilator, which is why my voice sounds different now, which is basically a really big tube that goes down your throat so that you can breathe. And it's only supposed to be left in for X amount of time, and mine was left in for like more than that amount of time, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I now have scar tissue on the right vocal cord. And that just sucks. It's a good, good damn thing I wasn't a singer before this accident. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have screwed up my whole life. Mm. <clears throat> and I also had a lot of internal bleeding. I lost eight pints of blood, and we only have 10 pints of blood in our bodies. Mm -hmm. So thank goodness for blood transfusions, because I'd probably be dead right now if I didn't have those. Mm -hmm. And then I had, I was on 20-something medications at first, and then I had a chest tube. And um, on day five, they had me in a medically-induced coma. And this was after my 18-day coma. And so after less than a day, and my brain wasn't going down at all, they designated me to undergo a craniotomy, which means they're going to cut open my skull and take out the bones of my front, both my frontal lobes. Mm Mm-hmm. And they put them in my stomach, which sounds really weird. (laughs) It was that or a freezer, though. And uh, the difference is that with it being still in my body, 
when it gets put back in my head, my body won't react like it's something foreign. Mm -hmm. It will just accept it anyway. And um, I also had a tracheotomy, which means I had a, my throat in between my collarbones cut open and then a tube stuck down in there. Mm -hmm. So I could still like breathe and stuff. <clears throat> and then at one point later on, they gave me some something weird. I don't know what it is, but it was going to allow you to talk with a trachean. And I still didn't talk. And my family was just like wondering if I could ever talk again or if I just wasn't talking for whatever reason. And it turns out that my vocal cords were still damaged enough to the point where I couldn't make any words. Mm -hmm. So after like a week or so of that, I, my first word was berries. <laughs> Which is funny because everybody has a first word, but I had a second first word. <laughs> I have like a second first of everything. <clears throat> um, so in November, which is after the initial incident, and uh, my accident was on October 11th, by the way. Mm -hmm. So in November, I was transferred to a long-term long-term care facility or an LTAC, which means long-term acute care. And um, I had a really bad lung infection when I was in ICU, which is an intensive care unit. Mm -hmm. And I almost went back there on the second day because they took me out of the ICU and put me in um, a different floor. And I almost had to go back to the ICU because of my lung infection. I had lung treatments every four to six hours for like six weeks. Normally, you only have lung invasive lung treatments for like two weeks or so. Mine was six weeks long. And basically, during a lung treatment, you get a vaporizing medication put into your lungs to break up all the phlegm that you can't cough up. And then it's suctioned out of your lungs, which they use the trach for. And like they took so many buckets of shit out of my lungs. <laughs> it was pretty awful. And then the end of November, I was transferred to long-term acute care facility which is different than the ICU. And I remember the ambulance ride from St. Joseph's Hospital to the long-term acute care facility. My sister was in there, which was awesome because I woke up and I knew who she was. My family was really worried that when I woke up, I wasn't going to remember who they were. Mm -hmm. I wake up, I mean, become cognizant. So I recognized my sister. And she basically explained um, kind of a little summary of that fact that I got in a really bad car accident. I've been in the hospital for like two months and I'm just getting transferred to the LTAC, which is cool because it was either that or a nursing home. But my mom didn't want to put me in a nursing home because it's basically the place that old people go to when they want 
to prepare to die. And she doesn't think that I was going to die or be on that path. And I couldn't yet follow commands or anything like that. So I had to go to the LTAC instead of rehab. Because you can only go to rehab after you start responding to commands, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I was transferred to long-term acute care. I don't really remember the process of being admitted. But I mean, yeah, they took like an inventory of my problems and what I had to do to get better or whatever, whatever. <clears throat> and then I still could not move the left side of my body until the end of December. And so I started remembering things at the end of November, a few days before I turned 22, which is awesome because I got to remember my 22nd birthday. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. It was a shitty birthday. It really sucks having it in the hospital. But at least I remember it, which is great. So I'm really grateful that I remember my birthday. And then I was in the acute care facility for like five weeks. And by the end of December, the day that my sister was leaving to fly back to Utah. <clears throat> by the way, my sister flew out the second day, of, second day after my accident, like the day after it happened. She would have been there the first day, but she couldn't find a flight from Utah to Tampa in that amount of time. So she had to do it the next day instead, which I am super grateful for because she obviously gives a lot of a shit about me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she was there pretty much the whole time. And then at the end of December is when she was going to fly back. And the day she was going to fly back, I moved my left arm and my left leg, neither of which I had moved since the accident happened, except for like little twitches. But that was just reflex stuff. And so that was great that I moved both of the left side of my body, because if I couldn't move left foot or leg, I probably would never be able to walk again. And I can walk, so... I'm really glad I can move my left leg. <clears throat> and my left arm is kind of messed up. Like my brain injury was on the right side. And if you know anything about that, it was affecting the whole left side of my body because the right side of your brain controls it. And thank God that it wasn't a left side of my brain damage because my art hand is my right side of my body and my right arm. So I would lose my art. And the old guy took pretty much everything else, like my coordination, my skills, my aerial muscle, everything. Mm -hmm. But not my arts. So I got this tattoo on my hand of a tattoo machine as a symbol of my dedication and commitment to my art skills Mm -hmm. and such. So I feel like that is a significant effect of getting that tattoo is it's like gratitude for my right hand not being damaged and messed up. So that's great. And then, um, so I moved my left side of my body in the same day. And then I was scribbling stuff to communicate when I could not talk. Uh, My right hand could still work fine, so I could still write. But it, it was not good handwriting. Like I could barely read it when I looked at it later. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell was I trying to say? 
I was I was significantly confused by my own thoughts. And um, the first sound that I made before I could actually say words was shh, but it didn't sound like that. It was like shh, shh, shh. <clears throat> so once I got down the making noise out of my my vocal cords, eventually a few days later I said berries, but it was really soft. It wasn't like berries. It was like berries. <laughs> And that's because my vocal cords were still damaged and they didn't like touch each other. And if you know anything about vocal cords or vocalization, you know that your vocal cords have to come together all the way and touch so that you can make sounds. And so by the end of my second phase of rehab, which I will get into, <clears throat> the last day that I was in rehab, I went to the ENT doctor, which is your nose and throat doctor, ENT. Mm -hmm. So I went to that guy. His name was Dr. Carlson. Not that you need to know that, <laughs> but just a little detail. So Dr. Carlson stuck a camera, a little camera up my nose to look at my throat. And you think, why doesn't he just stick it down your throat? Well, the reason is because your gag reflex will sometimes cause you to vomit, which may be on the ENT. <laughs> so they just go for your nose every time just to be safe and prevent vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, he took a little video of that. And I got to watch it and see my vocal cords touch each other again, which is cool. But he showed me this little spot on my right vocal cord, which is a little bit of scar tissue, which will likely never get back to scarless tissue. So my voice may be like this forever. I don't know. I guess only time will tell. So yeah, I, my vocal cords were better by the end of my second phase of rehab. Mm -hmm. And basically... In January of this year, on January 2nd, I went back to the head surgeon or whatever. I don't know what you call those. Neurosurgeon? Um, yes, a neurosurgeon. <laughs> and he put my skull back in my head, took it out of my stomach, and put it back in my head, which is cool. <laughs> really, really cool. <laughs> because now my head, my skull is where it's supposed to be. <laughs> And he made my head round again because my head was very misshapen during this entire time period because it was swollen, it was messed up. <clears throat> but he did a great job. My head is normal looking again, so that's nice. <clears throat> and um, so that was in January. That was January 2nd. And I stayed in that hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital, for like a week. And then on the following Monday or Sunday, I got transferred from that hospital, took an ambulance ride up to Jacksonville, which is really far from the area. I was in Tampa. So Jacksonville is like four hours away. Mm -hmm. Because I was going to get admitted to Brooks Hospital which is a really great facility. I really, I, you know, I swear by Brooks. 
So anyway, I did the inpatient rehab thing. And they got us up at like seven or eight every morning to do a little schedule until like four o'clock or something. <clears throat> and that is, okay, so when my first, when my arm first started moving, I can only lift it up like to my rib cage. By the end of my stay at Brooks, I could lift it all the way up above my head. Mm. So I could raise my hand, which is cool. Because that, you know, we just take shit for granted. <laughs> like raising your hand. I couldn't even do that. Like breathing, like speaking, like eating, walking, whatever, whatever. Which I had to relearn how to do all that stuff. So that sucks. And that is part of how I burned. <clears throat> and then after the inpatient thing at Brooks, I was admitted into the outpatient, which initially they told us it was going to be five to six weeks, which I can handle that. And then they told the, and then we were told it was going to be seven to nine weeks. Okay, I can still handle that. And then when I got to Brooks and got admitted, they were telling me it was going to be a 12 week. 12 week long rehab and I was like oh hell no I'm not staying that long I was like I'll stay for the first two weeks and then I'll be dipping but you know what I stayed there. I ended up staying there and the whole time and I was discharged on 420 which is fucking hilarious <laughs> since I'm not supposed to do that anymore <clears throat> So I just thought that was really ironically funny, which, I mean, it is. And during my stay at the outpatient Brooks Rehab was the first time I ever got on silks again. My physical therapist actually met me at the facility and I got to do silks, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. My physical therapist was there to make sure I didn't do anything too crazy, was <laughs> whatever. But I definitely freaked out my mom and the physical therapist because I, you know, I could do everything, but I really, really wanted to climb to the top of the silks. <laughs> and my mom was like, "Okay, you can go halfway up the silks, and then you better come down." I was like, "Cool." So I cl climbed up halfway to the top of the silks, and then I did actually come down which now she says she's really glad that I decided to do that because she couldn't get me down. <laughs> couldn't have stopped me if I kept going. So good for me that I actually listened. <clears throat> I got to do silks. I got to do Lyra that day and also trapeze, which I never really delved into the world of trapeze. So it was like a little teaser class. I mean, trapeze was cool. And the silks, they tied the bottom, so it was more like, it was more like a hammock. And we did simple stuff, like inverting on the hammock stuff. Mm -hmm. And doing some poses, whatever, whatever. It was cool. I was really glad to do that. So that was midway sometime in March. I got out in... April and I got into the facility in the beginning of February so February March and April is like three months so I was there for like three months which is you know a long time but I definitely got better from it 
like they did a lot of um cognitive rehab so it was more like thinking stuff mm-hmm. instead of um physical stuff whereas when I was an inpatient it was mostly physical skills and trying to get my left hand more coordinated so I got better in the inpatient but my brain really got better in the outpatient so that was my entire burned to ashes experience and now I'm on the revival upswing of things I've been practicing my splits since February when I got out of the inpatient when I left the hospital. And uh, now I am grateful to say that like a month ago, I got my splits back. Congratulations. Thank you. I really thought that was important. So that's good. And it's getting to the point where I'm like stretchy enough to like drop into the split before I kind of have to sit in it for a little bit. And then sink down. Now it's like I can just go into it, no problem. And um, unfortunately, my back flexibility was stripped of me during this accident and laying in bed for three months because you know I couldn't walk for three months because my pelvis was broken, mm-hmm. and no weight bearing, so I couldn't walk. And I just I was in bed. I was stuck in bed for three months, and so. Yeah, I just, you know, I lost every bit of my muscle, which is just shit. Because for every day that you lay in bed, you lose three days of muscle mass. So realistically, I was in bed for three months, but I lost nine months of muscle. Mm -hmm. And it took me a lot of hard work and a lot of practicing silks to get that muscle. So I'm pretty bitter about that. But I mean, there's only so much you can do. I'm just grateful that my right hand still functions perfectly. Because I would have been really, really salty if you messed up my right art hand. (laughs) And yeah, now I am becoming a phoenix, opening my wings, and I'm flying above what I could have suffered. So that's how I became phoenix so now now i'm immortal obviously Mm -hmm. and i'm an alien since i already was an alien so i was an alien i was an alien i became an immortal alien and now i'm a phoenix immortal phoenix alien (laughs) so there's a lot in this story to, to unfold. Like, I want to talk about uh, the, you know, we, we talked a lot about what happened to you, but we didn't talk a lot about what you experienced. Like you, there, there was a couple months where you didn't remember anything because your brain was so damaged. And I want to know um, what was your experience of that night? And then when you started to come back, generate memories um for your 22nd birthday like what was what was your experience of of the events well i don't remember the first two months like you said Mm -hmm. so i mostly was filled in and told all this later on Mm -hmm. when i became cognizant and i was like damn that is a lot of shit that is yeah because i mean i've always been I should be able to do this and I should be able to do this. Why can't I do this? Just been 
kind of pissed off about it because that old 92-year-old guy basically took my whole life away in one second. Mm -hmm. So he took everything that I worked for for years away, except my art, thank God, in a single moment. So I'm just frustrated all the time that I can't do the shit that I did before. But I mean, hey, just got to practice and it'll all be back, just like the first time. Hopefully it comes back faster this time, though, since I already went through this round. It's round two. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping it'll be better. So um, I'm curious, what happened to him as a result of this accident? Okay, he was in and out of the hospital in one single effing day. I am so mad at him. <laughs> oh, wow. Because it affected one day of his life, and it's affected my entire reality. Mm-hmm. which is extremely imbalanced. Yeah. Mm. And so we'll, 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 we'll talk a little bit more about that, about those feelings. But I want to talk more about the, your, your, that experience. Like, you, you know, you, yeah, a lot of people filled you in on what happened during those two months, but like, what do you, Without, without, you know, and I, I know it's hard to, um, with memory, with when people tell you that things happened when you don't necessarily know that they happened, it can be easy for you. It can be difficult to sort of know what, what, re, what do you remember versus what are you told. But I, I want to know what, when you think back from that night to okay. now, like what, what do you remember? Like what, what, what was your experience of of that? Like was it in? Do you remember? uh riding in the hot like was it sort of like a second awakening because you know there you know when you have children there's uh there's a window where they don't really interact with you and then they start to interact with you and then they start to generate memories and they talk but they might not remember those memories from adulthood because they don't know because that hasn't sort of entered the stream of their like their their identity as a person and i want to know what was that like from from that night to now, like what 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 has your experience of all of this been, and like what was it like to sort of like come back online? Well, at first I was really confused, mm-hmm. and then my sister told me all that, like basically a little summary of the way my life has changed, and you know I was just pretty bitter about that. So, uh, sorry about the interruption. Uh, where we were before, we were talking about um, the experience of of uh, coming back, and uh, you were saying how you were confused, and your sister so filled you in on a, a brief history of kind of what happened over the past two months. A brief summary. Okay, and I also wanted to add about my experience. Uh, the day I woke up from the coma, my mom was holding my hand and discussing how the last time I saw her, a few days before the accident, on Sunday, my accident was on a Wednesday, so three days before I I came down to Sarasota to visit her, and I guess our interaction when I first got there, I had told her not to worry about me because my missions and my influence wasn't done here on this planet which is pretty important because I think that everybody is here for a purpose. So if my 
purpose reasons were not fulfilled at this time, I felt like I need to come back and do more work. Mm. So um, I think that is why I didn't die, so that I could finish up what I need to do here on planet Earth. Mm. And we'll get we'll get to that. We'll we'll start talking about that in a little bit when you start talking about before you die. But I still want to dig into uh, into that experience. Okay. And then my mom said that while I was in my coma, before I got out of my coma, my aunt Corey and my mom did a soul retrieval ritual to get my soul to return to my body. So my mom went to the scene of my accident like the intersection and just asked my soul basically find it and reconnect re with it and enter my body back to regain my consciousness. <clears throat> so that was before I woke up. And then I guess while I was still in my coma, I was visiting people in their dreams in a white gown and such. And yeah, a lot of people have told me that I was in their dreams. Because <laughs> I don't want to go into people's dreams, but I guess apparently I was dream walking, which is cool. Mm -hmm doing a dream walking thing which I think is important because last interview I talked a lot about how my, my family is really spiritual mm -hmm. with our Native American history and such so I think I was embodying that while I was in my coma Do you have any memories or fragments of anything that you can recall during those two months? Um, not really. I think my body just tapped out because it wanted to heal. Mm. Uh, my memories spotty a few days before the accident. I remember going to my mom's house and eating the soup that she made. <laughs> awesome that she made that. It was really good. I don't remember the first moment that I showed up and said that thing to her about still having work to do on planet earth but i remember after that i went to go spin fire on the beach with my now ex-boyfriend and my friend link who's also a dj <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I, 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 I mean, we've been talking a lot about things that other people do or remember. I want to, I really want to talk about like, what was it, what about getting the motion back in your, like in your left side after the day your sister left? Like, what was that experience like? It was really quite a relief because I didn't even know if I could move my left side. So it was just a temporary paralysis. Mm -hmm. And there was this one guy in my rehab that was paralyzed from the waist down. So I'm really grateful about the fact that I'm still blessed enough to have my abilities to walk and everything. 
And then there was this other girl I met in rehab. Her accident was 16 years ago. And she could not walk. She was in a wheelchair. She, her caretaker told me that she had to eat not real solid food. She couldn't eat real solid food. So I can eat real solid food. So I'm, I'm grateful about that. Mm-hmm. And then a constant caretaker was, you know, constant. A caretaker was always with her. And um, then she couldn't speak normally. It was like a mixture of incomprehensible sounds, spelling mm-hmm. and sign language, and also spelling and sign language, incomprehensible sounds, and kind of grunts, I guess. Mm-hmm. So she was very hard to understand. I mean, I could understand some stuff because I know how to spell in sign language. So that was cool. But it was it was a really big moment for me because it made me realize how blessed and truly grateful I am that I'm not so bad off being less than a year into my accident. Mm-hmm. So it was a really powerful moment where I, you know, had the realization that I am truly blessed. Mm-hmm. Just that contrast really gave me that ability to look and reflect on myself in a more realistic manner. Have, has this experience changed your relationship with spirituality? Because as I recall, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to listen to the full interview that we had done previously, but um, as I recall that you had uh, spiritual beliefs, but you had, uh, I, I believe that you had gotten away from the practices that you had grown up with. Um, and I just wonder if you have, um, if this has changed your spirituality. My spirituality has not changed. I still have the beliefs that I did. Mm-hmm. But my practice has kind of increased a little bit. The last full moon, I did like a ritual. A new moon, rather. Maybe it was the new moon before that. I just, you know, I don't recall. But I did do a new moon ritual, which is, you know, something I used to do like my mom and I would go out in the backyard and you know say our intentions for the next month and then we'd do little things like so doing the ritual was really nice they got to participate as well And is this something that you think you will continue going forward? Is this, uh, does this, um, is this, is this return to uh, your, your, your pagan roots? Is this something that you, uh, you feel like is, is going to be a part of you going forward? Yes, I do feel like it was kind of a reawakening for my practice. Let me see. And uh, what was that? So I think I will continue doing practices that align more with the way I was raised to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, sometimes you need a uh, 
a, a rude, powerful awakening to realize that uh, some of the things that you grew up with weren't so bad. And uh, whether that's a return to a church or a return to practices or a return to temple, it's uh, sometimes you need a big uh, burning as you experienced to realize that the, there's a reason why these practices exist in the first place. And uh, they can be very grounding and uh, comforting in that way. Yeah, I agree. I would definitely say this whole experience has definitely been a life-changing situation. <laughs> and I do really align with the whole the embodying the phoenix thing. I really find a lot of truth in it. And yeah, I really want to embody the phoenix and come back more powerful than I was previously. Mm-hmm. And so what, what exactly do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by more powerful than, than you were previously? Well, I feel like my spirituality is more realistic and, you know, experiential. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But I mean, more like stronger, I would say my aerial stuff when I back into it and regain my skill and strength to what it was before. Mm-hmm. Let this empower me to continue forth with even more determination than I had previously because I'm aware of what it's like to have it stripped from me. So, having it stripped and charged by mm-hmm. a return. And so, is it, is this a, so I'm, I'm struck with, with, the, the specific language of being better than you were before, because I'm wondering is, is it literally, do you want to be a, like a more functioning human than you were prior to this accident? Like, do you want to have greater strength? Is, is, are you planning to have greater strength in your left hand than you did before the accident? Are you talking about trying to be more skillful in different ways on the silks? Um, because like what I, what I, what the, the example that I'm thinking of specifically is um, there's a one armed MMA fighter who is uh, who who has had a lot of success as an MMA fighter with one hand because he has had to adapt his strategy and he people aren't able to react in the same way to him that when he faints uh, his his when he faints it's not what the follow up is going to be is going to be very different than if it's like painting a left hook with a right hook it's going to be something very different and that doesn't mean that he's a better fighter, but it means that he's a more unique fighter. And I'm wondering, uh, are you talking about being a literally more skilled aerialist or a skilled in different ways with having weaknesses and restrictions as a result of this accident, um, allowing you to be more creative and more expressive in other ways because you have these restrictions? Well, I would definitely like to regain my left hand abilities mm-hmm. but in the event that I cannot do so I would definitely allow my restrictions to enable me to become a more unique skilled artist in flow arts and aerial arts have you do you know what that would look like do you know what that would feel like because having an injury like this or, or, a, a, um, like I'm sp- thinking very specifically about 
you regaining motion in your left side. Like I've never had that experience. And I just want to know uh, what was that like? And, and how do you interact with your left side now versus before? Like, are you still like, as now your hand might not be as dexterous or strong and you might get mad at it for not being clumsy when you do something with it, but or do you forgive it because you know what it was like to not move it at all? Yeah. Well, I definitely notice when I'm getting better at stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm going to a chiropractor now and, you know, we have to do this exercise where I really rely on my left hand and right hand grip. Mm -hmm. At first, my left hand would slip a lot and it'd be like just my fingers holding on. But now I can like grip it and I hope my whole hand does its work. Mm -hmm. And uh, the difference between not using your left arm and being able to use your left arm, it's definitely a huge difference. <clears throat> I do forgive it because I know with enough drilling and enough practice that I can regain whatever is um, missing, whatever defects I'm experiencing with my left hand now. I just, you know, I just tell myself that with enough practice and determination and vision, I'll be able to regain, regain it and pursue other things once I gain it back. Mm -hmm. My grip strength is like the biggest thing. I mean, my dexterity and coordination also, like I have to drill a lot of stuff with my flow arts now because my left hand just, I mean, I'm gonna use the word glitch it just glitches out and that is unfortunate but i know if i just keep practicing it it'll get better mm -hmm. i feel like glitch was the appropriate word to use because i have plates and screws in my skull now and i had my friend like touch the screws and she was like oh my god you're like the real life cyborg <laughs> that was pretty perfect because i mean i kind of am mm -hmm. yeah this is uh this is a really uh wild time to think about what we can do with modern medicine um having neurosurgery on board and imagine lots of orthopedics on board for you uh, it's just very like the the level of recovery that is possible now is startling compared to what you know if you were to get in this car accident even 10 years ago right i definitely am super 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 grateful for modern medicine because without it i'd probably be under the ground right now mm -hmm. which would not be fun mm -hmm. i'm just glad that i can i have the ability to gain my skills back and become more fulfilled through these things because it's basically like a second chance mm -hmm. like the first time i ever flipped myself upside down on the silks in a cross back straddle i like was so grateful and maybe i, I was just so happy i felt so accomplished and sometimes when i feel like i'm just like 
really upset that I'm gonna have to learn everything again. I just remember how amazing it felt to do it the first time. So I just know that the second time is gonna be even better. I was going to say, you know what I mean, but. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, um, I guess, will, what, it, where, where will the, like the, where will you be satisfied? Like where, where will you be like, oh, okay, I can, I can, uh, you know, like, it sounds like you are working very hard. Like you are, like you are drilling, you are doing things in ways that you haven't done before because you hadn't needed to before until this point. Right. Um, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort and you need to go through that effort in order to reclaim what you have lost. I wonder what, at what level will you be like, I can relax a little bit. I can really sit and just soak in on this or will you ever, do, do you feel like you will ever get to that point again where you're like, I can relax, I can like, I can coast now or do you, because you have lost so much and you know what it feels like and how good it feels to reclaim that lost ground, will you ever allow yourself to lose some of that ground again? Right. <clears throat> well, I think that the most significant parallel that I would have to answer that is the fact that I was super back flexible before mm -hmm. and there were certain moves on silks where I could like like the scorpion I'll, I'll you might not know where, what that is but basically I used to touch my feet like my toes to my ears like backwards it's not like I could lift my feet up to my ears while I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. It was the other way around. That was mostly back flexibility. Mm. My back curved enough that I, I, when I bent my knees with my back curved, they would touch my ears. Now I can't even, can't even make a C. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like when I get that ability back, and also something I used to do with my fire staff, is do a one-armed backbend and spin the staff at the same time. I feel like once I get those key things regained, mm -hmm. I'll be able to kind of chill out and be like, you've done a lot of work. You've got some of your most difficult moves back. You can chill out. Mm -hmm. But I definitely have a lot of work to do. <laughs> Before, I really didn't, I didn't have to work for my back flexibility. I just kind of had it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it got better the more I did it, but now I feel like I can't do shit, so I have to work really, really hard <clears throat> to get where I was. When I before, I didn't really have to work for it; it just was like naturally that flexible. Mm -hmm. But that's what happens when you lay in bed for three months. You can't do anything, not even walk. Mm. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm struck with this uh, idea because uh, the best the best coaches that I've worked with were not necessarily the best athletes, and the best best athletes that I've known are not the greatest coaches. 
And I think a lot of that has to do with the way that you earn your knowledge and the way you earn your skills. And uh, somebody that these skills come easily to, they don't, they don't treasure the skills as much because they, they just came easy. And I don't blame them. Um, and they also don't know because it came easily, they never, they didn't have to attack it from 18 different discrete angles to try to find the way into the skill uh, versus somebody who isn't very, you know, might not be physically gifted, but somebody that had to work uh, two years to get a, a freestanding free handstand will be able to coach somebody along to a freestanding free handstand than the athlete who just could pop up. I was like, Oh, I can do this. I didn't know. I no one like challenged me to it, but I can do it. You know, like that, those are two very different kinds of people. And it sounds like you are going to walk, uh, both fortunately and unfortunately both roads where it all came easily to you. And you know how good it feels to be able to do that. And, and the freedom that comes along with having an easy backbend to a scorpion, like the, all of those things, but also you have to now walk the the more difficult longer and way less fun road of difficultly of 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 earning those skills the hard way and over long periods of time um, right. and i i just wonder uh you know right now you're in the thick of it you you're you're working on yourself and yourself alone right now because that's all you have the energy for um but i wonder uh, in five or ten years, uh, with with having walked both roads, what uh, what do you do? And like, how do you like how how does teaching? Like, I just I just imagine down the road of like what uh, what that would look like. Right. Yeah, I've had some people tell me that aerial instructor or aerialists are either really good instructors or really good at aerial. Mm-hmm. Which I, you know, I, I feel like that really compares to what you're saying because it's like you either just have the skills or you had to work really hard to earn them so you're a good teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think having both would be really awesome. <laughs> it would be a really good aerialist and a really good teacher. Mm -hmm. It's uh, just going to come at quite the cost, right? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It'll be worth it in the end. In the end, though, I think so. That's uh, yeah. You're still at this such a squishy stage of uh, of your recovery. It's you're firming up for sure, but you're still so squishy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've uh, we talked a lot about um the accident and sort of what what that has been like, and I want to talk a little bit about the future now, and I want to talk uh, move on to the next prompt before I die. I want, and I want to know what uh, what how do you finish it. Well, before I die, I would like to see the world evolve and make significant progress toward advancing as a community. Mm -hmm. And uh, a long time ago, I did an interview for Live Art Labs or Live Art Laboratories. I was really, really trying to make something cool and awesome and successful. And one of the things I said in that interview was, you know, they say everything starts with one person. Or they say that you're just one person, you can't change the whole world. And I said, but everything starts with one person. One person can influence the people around them and the people around them, and it becomes a whole community, a team of following the passion 
or the thing that they believe in and working their hardest to make it happen, to manifest it. And so before I die, I would like to see the world become a community that's working together for a better existence. But before I die, I would also like to accomplish becoming better at silks or more skilled at silks and more skilled at fire spinning than I was before. Mm -hmm. I feel like with fire spinning before, it was mostly just like flow. Just, you know, I kind of just did it. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I need to work my ass off for the more difficult moves and difficult skills. And I feel like I'm determined enough to manifest those things. It's just a matter of time to do it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I've got my whole life ahead of me. But I mean, maybe not, maybe not. You know, everything just happens and just happens. Anything can happen in an instant. That's what I've learned from this experience. I mean, I worked for years to get my aerial skills and my fire skills. I mean, I've worked for longer for my art skills, which is why I'm so grateful that the right side of my brain was injured. I got hit on the left side, so I'm not really sure why it was the right side of my brain that was more damaged. There's a there's a thing called uh, crew contra coup, where yeah. like it's like your brain sh- just jostling around. Yeah I, yeah, I forgot the word, but that's what I was going to say is contra coup. <laughs> it means it like hits the opposite side. Mm-hmm. So like kind of like it hit me on my left, and my brain ran to the right side of my skull, mm-hmm. and then bounced back. So yes, contra coup is what my brain experienced, <laughs> which is why it was damaged on the right side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, summarize my response is a, I would like the world to be unified, working toward a better version of its own existence, and B, I would personally like to evolve and work toward a better better version of myself, a more skilled version of myself, rather. Because now that I've regained my capacity for basic things, I'm inspired to do it even better than before, so I just picked up contact staff which is really really effing hard for all those that are not interacting with any sort of low prop flow props are all pretty difficult contact staff is probably the hardest i've ever tried to learn what is contact staff i mean you're using a staff but you're using it in a way where it's making contact with your body at pretty much all times Oh, so you're not gripping it, but it's like rolling on you. Yes. I see. Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times, and that is always very impressive to watch. It's really, really hard to learn. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so I just picked that up because I really would like to be skilled and stuff. And I now feel like I have the motivation to do it. Before, I just felt like I was naturally flowy, so I didn't have to work. But now I have to work just to get my flow back. So I'm going to work harder mm-hmm. to get my new skills going. And mm-hmm. also, Foy, I don't know if you've seen Foy or if you guys know what I'm talking about. 
but poi is like little two little circular spheres on ropes that you spin and you can do it really really well and impressively you can even do three if you wanted to i know somebody who's like really really up and good with three of them i can't even really do planes that well with um poi and i never learned poi before my accident so i'm gonna learn it this time and it's gonna be start starting all over for both of those props i'm just starting at ground zero and i'm starting at ground zero whether or not i was in the accident because before if i started them it would have been ground zero and now i've had the accident and i really want to learn those things so I'm technically learning them back to ground zero anyway <laughs> so i might be mad at my arm my left arm for not being able to hold the plane right but i mean before it probably would have been a little easier but, i mean i'll just just start where i'm at right now and learn everything from the beginning mm-hmm. mm. and uh I'm struck with this idea of uh, of like it's just like one person can start a change that will ripple throughout the world, and uh, even even on a more fundamental level, it's you are uh, the a one person that is changing your own world by the way that you interact with it, by the way that you are able to interact with your own body to then interact with the world. Like there, there, I don't know, there's something, there's something even like going even more meta and deeper into it where if you, um, as, as a person who can change your own body, your own world, your own literal experience of the world, you change the world and using that momentum to then spill it out further to then your community to the people around you to uh the the world at large like it just you have to it it literally has to start within you uh before it can get anywhere out of there right well i would say that i would agree with that first of all second i feel like i was inspiring people before the accident and now i'm becoming a phoenix and I'm inspiring them in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I feel like that will inspire others mm-hmm. to realize that, you know, life isn't that bad. You just got to work and do your shit like you're supposed to. And I mean, you know, if I can do it, then anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. So I just really want to resonate that message out and get across the concept that, you can do anything. You just have to do your part and work for it, and you could do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really, you really got to earn the skills. Maybe sometimes twice, but you really got to earn the skills. Exactly. And um, what uh, what is there anything else that you want before you die? Uh, well, I just would like to inspire people to believe in themselves and, you know, to, to actually give a shit about their, their, their process and their life in general. Definitely something to be grateful for because it can get taken away at any moment. Yeah, and you, you really know that in a way that is different than most, I think. And I want to know, like, how does how does having that, like, oh, I'm just driving home from a friend's place to this, uh, how does 
how does that inform the way that you go through the world different? Like, how do you go through the world differently? Is it, do you literally express gratitude more often? Do you tell people that you love them? Like, how do you, how does, how has this changed uh, knowing how quickly things can change? Well, things can change really, really quickly. So I do appreciate everything a lot more and I appreciate skills and seeing those skills a lot more and I am more adamant about expressing your true feelings to people in all sorts of circumstances especially those positive feelings that you have toward other people because they might never know if you just you know died today So if there's something you want to say to someone, just just fucking say it. <laughs> Get it off your chest. Release, you know, the pent-up energy you have about it. Or even if it's a grudge, just release the grudge. Communicate, you know? Mm. And I want to take that, that response that you just gave and ask you, um, about the the man that caused the accident is how do you how has your relationship to him changed and i'm i don't even know if you had ever really talked to him or if you even want to or if you will um but i want to understand um with with that in mind how how what what's been going on well i don't really know what's been going on with him because i never talked to him But I honestly, you know, I just, I don't think I'll ever be able to tell him that he, like, totally turned my life around and around. But, you know, I hope that, like, somewhere in there he uh, can feel it. And, um... I mean, maybe he'll just have a really good rest of his life. Maybe not. I don't really feel like it's my place to determine how his life experience is going to continue. But I know he's definitely changed mine and it's going to be. World better watch out for me. (laughs) Do you. Do you feel like you it's possible to forgive him i mean probably when i am back in the spot that i was before i can have some forgiveness i mean it's not that i don't forgive him but i don't I mean, you know, it's his, his his mistake. I think he probably just didn't have the reflexes to stop his car in time. So I don't I don't think that it's technically his fault. But I mean, come on, if you're ninety two, you should not be effing driving. Hmm. <clears throat> 
is there is there a level of um is there anything like with 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 having known how short life can be um is there are there any like sort of bucket list items or are they primarily uh the like you reclaiming your body again um i mean <clears throat> i feel like i had a bucket list before i don't know what was on it i guess i'd have to make a new one <laughs> but i mean then down to make a new one bucket list of all the the shit i want to do mm. How do you finish the next prompt, when I die, I want? Well, when I die, I would like to have inspired people that knew me to be the Phoenix version of themselves, per se, without the actual process. But, I mean, yeah, I just would like to impact people in the way that they believe in themselves and they say I can do it. Mm. Is that a? Is that something that you want them to remember you for? Is that something that, um, as you die, you sort of see? Uh, you can kind of imagine and see all of the people that you have touched. I mean, I guess both. I want to be aware that I did that for some people. Mm -hmm. but I also want people to realize that I did that so they can technically do it I see and is there is there like a number like how how many people do you want to have inspired to become their own phoenix like uh is there do you can like because I think conceivably you could have already done that like you could you could go out today uh and that would I think you would have already have done enough to have inspired a, a good chunk of people uh, with the, the story of your life so far. Um, how, how much further do you want to spread this message? I mean, for all those people that don't believe it or don't know it, mm. I hope that my experience in some way can show them that they can do it. Is there anything else that you want when you die? Have you considered what you want the moment of your death to look like, to feel like? Um, well, I would like for it to be peaceful, not just car accident that kills me. You know, something more calm, just like a voluntary choice to go forward into the whatever reality lays, lies beyond this third dimensional earth reality. Mm-hmm. I would like to gracefully walk forth into it, wearing a white gown that I visited people in their dreams in. <laughs> and wings. I would like wings. Yeah, they would look very, uh, wings look good on you. Thank you. <laughs> Have you, I mean, do you, do you, do you feel like you had, um, like a, do, have you like throughout the whole last few months, um, have you had like the classic 
near-death experience or has it just been a slow re reclamation of your body um, and, and what I mean is like did you have a moment or did you ever have that like oh wow I really almost died and I saw like things change and I have a wildly different perspective as a result of that like that brush or has it just been uh, waking up and realizing how close you had come and being grateful for what you have well, I don't think that I really had like a near-death experience moment. I mean, I definitely had near-death, <laughs> but I don't really think that the experience of I'm trying to think of the word it starts with an R. Like a revelation. Yeah, revelation. That's what I was looking for. I don't think I had a moment of revelation like when I almost died. It's definitely been more like a slow, it was like everything just, I mean, I don't remember the moment that everything went black. Because like I said, my memory is spotty before a few days before the accident. Mm -hmm. I don't remember Monday and Tuesday at all. And um, yeah, Wednesday, I don't remember the morning of it. Like said friend that told me I was at her house. I didn't even remember being at her house. I don't think. Mm. So I was told that I was at somebody's. I was supposed to hang out with people like throughout the day, but they again they told me that I don't remember setting up those plans or reaching those plans. It was just like everything was just black. Mm. And my memory or lack thereof was just black. <laughs> so it's definitely been more like a reclamation of my memory and body and awareness of the experience. Mm. Is there anything else you want when you die? I don't think there's anything else. And also I told my mom at some point that I have a revelation from Gaia, like the earth, but I don't remember what that revelation was, unfortunately. <laughs> but the earth came to me as its own embodied version of itself it told me something but I don't remember what it was mm. like I wish I could have and I wish I could have remembered walking in people's dreams and experiencing the dreams with them or seeing myself in that way but I've just had people tell me that I was in their dream yeah those uh those higher level experiences tend to fade and uh you get come back to earth and you're like oh uh what happened <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> so um how do you finish the final prompt after i die i want well after i die i would like people to be influenced by my story and um, have some impact on individual souls in, the, in this way. And after I die, I would also like for the earth to be kind of revived, kind of like how I experience my, my life up until this point. Like, I think I'm doing good. Okay, I think I'm doing good. I think I'm doing well. And then everything just gets taken away in a moment. 
and then I'm coming back, being stronger, getting more skills, doing my thing. So, I mean, I hope that the earth continues doing well. I don't want it to have an experience. I I like do want it to continue a higher level of how it is now. And I would also like for people, like I said, to be inspired by my story, but also to like, like call upon my story in moments of doubt and <clears throat> disbelief in themselves. So yeah, I just you know I would I really want to my have my story continue to inspire people after I pass on to the next realm that awaits us that awaits every one of us really. And I also would like for the earth to transcend its current state. Do you, has this experience changed your idea of what uh, the experience of af of what comes after life will be? Well, I've never really had an idea about what after this life will be. It's kind of just a mystery to me. And um, it's still just a mystery. I don't think it's just like everything goes black and it stays black. I think there's like some kind of awakening that your soul experiences after you leave this realm. I mean, I'm not sure what it is. I'm just pretty certain that it will be like how I came back from my near death, almost death experience. <laughs> I think it's just kind of start waking up as a new version mm. of yourself. I don't know what specifically. Mm. Yeah, and uh, are you, are you, like, how do you envision the future? Do you do you see those? Do you think that those changes are going to happen? Are you hopeful that the changes are going to happen? Um, like, uh, are are you wishing that the changes are happening? Like, well, where where do you lie on that spectrum? Well, I am currently hoping that that we're making moves toward doing those things, and I think I, I actually am certain. I certainly believe that we'll get there. I don't know how long it'll take or under what circumstances. I definitely think some circumstances will cause or result in that to be successful at some point. It might be like 10 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 20,000 years from now. Hopefully not that long because I feel like human humanity would like kill itself before not on purpose on accident mm -hmm. as a result of their previous actions that have like wronged mother earth and stuff i'm just hoping and believing that we will be able to surpass our 
previous mistakes and overcome that, much like I've overcome this traumatic accident. <clears throat> I think that's a, that's a good little spot. Um, and uh, I just wanna thank you. Um, I know that this has been a conversation we've been trying to schedule for a really long time. And uh, I'm really glad that we were able to have this follow-up and just sort of check in on you, see how things are going. Um, and I want to give you the floor to address the audience directly, uh, to say any parting words uh, to whoever's listening uh, and whoever might be inspired by your story. Cool, thanks. I'm really glad we got to make this happen also. To all those people out there that are hearing it or going going to hear it rather because I don't think it's a live thing. So to all the people that are going to hear this follow-up interview, I'd like to thank you for listening to it and hopefully you listen to the first one too. If you haven't, you should go listen to the first one and then listen to this one or maybe not in that order, whatever. And I hope that you are inspired by my story. Obviously I said that I really hope people are inspired. And um, yeah, I just want to thank you all for doing your thing and living and existing. I truly hope that maybe today or tomorrow you decide to be the better version of yourself and make the best choices. And um, <clears throat> make the choices that benefit the greater whole, not just yourself. So yeah, just, you know, make better choices, basically. <laughs> Feel better, do good things, give to somebody, tell somebody you love them, tell them your feels, pursue, you know, happiness. Remember that today or tomorrow might be your last day. You don't really know. And, um, you know, may Gaia, Mother Gaia, just, you know, bless your experience on this earth. And thank you, Eugene, for doing a follow-up interview. I feel like it's pretty important because the previous interview was like when I was in my max optimum skill level and thinking the most clearly. So it's good to go back to it and reevaluate how I'm feeling. Ground zero, the bottom, the bottom of the bottom, and to hear about how it feels to have been at the bottom and what I would like to do and accomplish and know that I'm determined to do so because I'm a phoenix now, so world, you better re you better be ready. <laughs> Absolutely, mm -hmm. Alana, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been Alana Karma on Death Again.
Hello, I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Alana Karma. Alana is a 21-year-old artist, student, and performer. I met Alana through the Sacred Floats and Gems Nebulous, which brought Kenny Henderson and Jared Roa, previous guests, to the podcast. Her canvases include skin, both inked and painted, fire, and aerial silks. In this heady conversation, we discuss her Mohawk heritage, Wiccan upbringing, and the sacred fire. I hope you enjoy. Before we talk more about Alana, I just want to bring up the Longform Sundays post. These are reflections that I've been posting as us alongside the podcast. So if you're on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, you can find these at mnmwod.com, M-N-M-W-O-D dot C-O-M, Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day. On April 16th, I published Unnecessary Atrophy, or Eight Days to Step One. This week, I reflect on inactivity, injuries, and guacamole. Step prep has left me feeling quite sedentary and wishing for more movement, just like the good old days. And then this week, I posted On Delaying the Inevitable, or 18 Days to Step One. This week, I reflect on postponing my Step 1 test date and packing up my life in Tampa. Instead of stressing out about an impending exam, I'm able to enjoy my final seven days in Florida while making boxes and filling them up. And that's basically where I'm at today. I, um, I'm at my partner's uh, old house, uh, Gadsden. Uh, there's a cat nearby, kind of roaming around, being all cat-like. Uh, you can probably hear the birds in the background. And uh, start, I'm moving out moving out of Tampa on Sunday so that I was able to get Alana in for an interview on uh, this is Wednesday right now so really right before posting this and right before leaving uh, she's uh, sh- I met her as I mentioned at uh, through the Sacred Floats and Gems folks uh, more specifically at the tattoo shop across the street Visionary Inc and uh, that's where Kenny also uh, inked up my back it was really really cool anyway Alana uh, very, uh, she, she was, she struck me cause she was, uh, she was sort of floating around while, while Kenny and I were talking about the, our, my tattoo. Uh, and she struck me as someone really interesting, uh, on social media. I follow her and she does lots of, lots of really cool silk stuff. Um, aerial silks as well as fire, uh, fire performing and uh, a lot of body, body paint art. And it's really, really cool stuff. And so I was like, oh, she'll be a really cool person to get in contact with. And uh, we get her on the, on the podcast. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And it was, um, we talk about a lot of <laughs> wacky, crazy, fun stuff in the most best way. And uh, normally, you know, from these conversations, we tend to talk a lot about the, like, the deeply personal um, experiences with death. And uh, with this conversation, I had just so much fun talking about ideas and and uh, concepts. And uh, I think that comes through in the conversation. We talk a lot about really, really uh, some really, really cool things and ideas and observations. Um, and I think that you will grow to like Alana as well through this through this discussion. So you can find her um, on all sorts of social media. Um, I'll put that in the show notes for you to be able to contact her as well as uh, we'll be throwing up her uh, her thesis in which she talks about um, her art and uh, the fifth dimension. So I hope that you have uh, started boiling your tea, uh, boiling your water for your tea and already ground up your coffee beans 
and you are ready for a lovely, lovely stroll through the four prompts with Alana Karma on deck. It is April 26, 2017. I'm sitting here in my Tampa apartment with Alana, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Alana, what are the four prompts? Alrighty. The four prompts, as I recall, are I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. <laughs> Excellent. Perfectly well done. Uh, how do you finish that first prompt, I am? I am. Okay. I guess I would describe myself. I am as... I am living as a hyperdimensional being of consciousness on an earthly reality. Let's break that down. <laughs> what, okay, what what does what is what is a hyperdimensional consciousness? Okay, I would say what I mean by that is trying to exist at a frequency where conscious awareness of oneself is like shifting one's evolution in a way that is like consciously aware and creative is is why is that intention important to you i feel like setting an intention for yourself of being aware of like what you would like to evolve into and how you want to evolve and what you want to create as you're evolving makes all the difference it's like when you do something when you set an intention in advance of it and you place that as like where your focus and where your energy is directed, then energy flows in that way. It's like conscious manifestation versus just kind of like reacting to the environment or like evolving mm -hmm. based only on like the things that happen to you. It's like living in a hyperdimensional frequency or creating the things that are happening to you in a way. Because it's, it's, it's sort of like navigating, like if you know that if like I'm standing in a parking lot and I know that tree is north, but then I get turned around, I move, and then I look around, I look for that tree. It's no long, it might not no longer be pointing at true north. But you want something that is more, that is deeper and further away and less, less able to be jiggered around by your own movements, by your own uh, path. So that you want like the north star to be your north. And, and, that, and by finding what you want to do as, 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 your, as your intention you want it to be a deep intention that you can always kind of align with you rather than come back to rather than like, I want to just, I want to make banana. Like I want to like, you know, like cook or, you know, it's like that, that like you want to make like a, a, like if you're, if you're a cook, you want to make like a food experience for people that kind of like. Right. I feel like there is like an aspect of like feedback that's happening too, you know? So when your person's setting an intention of something, you know, the universe will do what it can to make it happen. But there's, you know, like there's pieces along the way that the universe manifests for you, depending on how, what you put out. You know what I mean? So it's like you are putting something out, the universe responds to you and you have to respond to it. So it's like you're never really totally 100 percent in control of like the manifestations. If you are not consciously keeping your intention, you know, so like that intention is like, yeah, like the North Star, it's like keeping you going in the right direction, even though you have to wind through all these like different pathways and journeys and mountains and rivers and craziness and, you know, like random third dimensional reality elements as you're going forth, you know, you still are moving forward toward that point. And uh, what, 
what difficulties have you experienced along the way as as this hyperdimensional being? I guess coming to understand it and constantly readjusting my perspective of what that means, you know, because it's like, I don't know everything. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what's going to happen or what exactly, what path I'm going to go down. It's just a constantly evolving journey of like reflection, feedback, and like taking a look at oneself and trying to figure out what it is that's like, what it is that's guiding you in, you know, in the new direction. So if something isn't going in the direction that I'm visualizing or what I manifest, you know, like, why isn't that happening? And what is it about myself? What is my frequency doing that isn't, isn't aligned properly with that dream or that manifestation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what, what about that? I, I find that last little bit of, of that response very interesting the, 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 on this earthly realm. Why do you, why do you say earthly realm versus this earth or this, or this planet or uh, in this reality? Well, I guess I feel like this earth realm is one of infinite for sure. And because of the fact that it's a 3d realm, I feel like, this is the way that we're perceiving it, but there's more frequencies to it that are not that are not necessarily limited to Earth. So we're sitting in like an earthly 3D tangible reality. And simultaneous to that physical reality, there's other frequencies that are not limited to Earth. So for example, like energy of the universe, you know, it's like our energy of Gaia. Like there's there's Gaia Mother Earth energy, but there's also like universal energy that Gaia is connected to. So the realm that's existing on Gaia is the one that we're present in and what I'm, like, harmonizing with. But at the same time, it's connected to, like, this multifaceted, many multidimensional layers. Like, it's, like, we're, like, almost like we're in, as, as these, like, mostly hairless apes, we are privy to only a small, small... Uh, spectrum, like a very narrow slice of what is really going on all around us. Right. Like, there's like, when you look at somebody's facial expression, for example, you see their facial expression, but it has another layer to it. You know what I mean? It's not just a physical facial expression. It means something. Mm -hmm. So everything has like an energy signature and those layers, while intangible to our physical senses, are still present and still there and happening simultaneously to the earthly realm that we're in. So if you can be aware of the fact that we're in an earthly realm, but you can tap into these other frequencies, then that's when you're functioning like on a hyperdimensional level because then you're using these other dimensional layers to manifest in the earthly reality. Did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood? I did. Um, For the most part, below the age of like seven, I didn't really have any conscious like guidance as far as spirituality. And then after my parents got divorced, um, my mom focused a bit more on the teachings that she wanted to share with us. And I come from, on my mother's side, a Native American heritage. So my grandmother is full uh, Mohawk of the Iroquois Nation. Mm -hmm. And that is, like, located in, like, northeast U.S., like, southeast Canada, um, near the Great Lakes. Um, Basically, like, the Iroquois Nation breaks down into six different tribes, um, that had been warring, and they decided to like unite each, unite together, and mm-hmm. that became the six, you know the great Six Nations of Iroquois, and one of them is the Mohawk tribe. Mm-hmm. So that's the tribe that we come from, and then there's clans within each tribe. So we're the Turtle Clan within that tribe, mm-hmm. and essentially, um, 
so my grandmother and my great aunts and all of them have like a you know more direct culture and then you know passed whatever knowledge came to my mother onto her um, from my grandmother to my mother and then my mother has been teaching us things along the way and around that age is when she also brought into our awareness um, Wicca and which is a branch of pagan so essentially what that is is a nature-based religion um, that involves like the elements and Mother Gaia essentially is like our ultimate um, mm-hmm. like item of appreciation or a consciousness of appreciation you know not really an item Earth is an item. <laughs> <laughs> uh, object of appreciation mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at the core is Mother Gaia and then the elements that go along with that so Wicca has been like a strong influence on um, my previous understanding of the world. And then once I got into college, I discovered a lot more and kind of started actively becoming involved in my own spirituality versus just like having a passive teaching of, of information. Mm-hmm. And what, let's, I'll, I'll say that for a second. So, so what, what do you feel, like, how do you feel about that, that um, native that, that like sort it's also because it's it's also tough because it sounds like it was given to you almost like third second hand yeah um what definitely how how was that sort of imprinting or that base layer um and how does how do you how do you relate to that now okay i would say there's definitely like a severe disconnect between me and the the culture directly uh, a lot of my family members before my generation lived on reservations mm. um for at least like some period of time if they, you know, if not, like, their whole lives. Um, so there's, like, a lack of connected a connectivity. Um, I also wasn't always around my mom's family in, like, deep ways. Like, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's like, an element to community and, like, Native American culture where, you know, like, the community grows together and, like, the family is, like, stays together. And um, I don't really feel like that was continued on. Um, and connected with my generation. Uh, my mom, uh, we ended up moving across the country for my early childhood and stuff like that. So I didn't really like grow up in the context of that heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am receiving the knowledge, like not directly. And a lot of it I am having to like discover on my own over time and like through research and stuff like that. But the baseline of it essentially, um, you know, like great spirit and being aware of the four elements and like our harmonious relationship with nature, I think is probably the primary core of like what that heritage means to me is like, we are functioning with Gaia, you know, we're not just independent entities, like taking resources, living off Gaia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing recently like this comment um, from a Lakota tribe member or chief, I can't recall saying like, if they still, you know, like, ruled the land that, like, you could drink out of any river on it. Mm. And, you know, it's just so true um, coming from an awareness of, like, what that, what the relationship with Earth means to the Native culture and how how connected with each other resources and the environment, how much that is, like, of value, you know. And I think that there's, I think that's, like, the most important aspect to me as far as, how I apply that, how I apply, how I translated that with like the pagan concepts, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very, um, it's so tough. Like, cause I, it's sort of like trying to learn a language through a book, mm-hmm. like your, 
it there's there's like you can learn the vocabulary and you can learn the proper ways to conjugate the verbs and the ways to construct the verb pronoun adjective all that kind of stuff and, and it, it will be correct but it, it lacks that like living aspect to it where you know like you miss the, like the oral tradition the oral tradition you miss you miss the way that people talk the cadence the the ways that they would tell stories mm-hmm. and the, all of those and just that's just the language I think part oral storytelling is one of the most like primary core ways of like passing on that knowledge you know not having that direct experience i feel like does have like a severe impact on how much i relate to the native culture mm. um i do feel like a lot of my more like conscious awareness comes from uh, the pagan and Wiccan elements because I feel like we practice that more actively mm-hmm. into like my early adulthood and such like through the process of doing ritual work and spells and magic and aligning things with like different phases of the moon and like how those phases have different like energy signatures that mean different things and how that relates to the spells that you're trying to cast and stuff like that and at the time like I didn't really understand what it meant to like practice magic or what it meant to like do ritual work And I think, you know, like once I got into college and rediscovered like the spiritual aspects, you know, that's when I realized that all of that stuff is just energy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's energy manipulation. It's energy work. It's using different objects with different colors and different frequencies to harmonize your frequencies in a way that creates magic in your reality. Mm -hmm. And so I think that connection like came after the practicing of it. Mm -hmm. And and that seems like a a very, very common thing for a lot of people with their, with like, you know, they, they might've been born Catholic and they might've been raised Catholic, but they never really understood Catholicism until later in life when they've like had a chance to like separate and then come back to it. Or maybe they just need more life to like understand, like more deeply understand the practices that are really going on. Totally. What, tell me a little bit more about uh, your relationship with paganism and, and, and Wicca, Wicca in general, because uh, it is something that is, I think, very poorly understood in in like contemporary culture, and it is such. It, it's it was the basis of almost. I mean, not not necessarily Wicca, but those those earth based ideas mm-hmm. were basically the fun foundation and fundamental concept of most um, indigenous religions or, or spiritual practices. It's just. Not, you know, like not necessarily a, a God above, but the earth around us and below, like with, within us. For sure. I definitely feel like there is like a rawness and a primitivity to it that is undeniable. You know, I'm not saying you have to agree with it. I'm mm-hmm. just saying for me personally, like, like I've never felt like unconnected from it or like as if it was like wrong, mm-hmm. you know, or as if I didn't feel like it made sense. Mm-hmm. Like when my mom taught me these concepts when I was younger, I was just like, oh, well, I mean, of course that makes sense. Like, of course trees have spirits and souls and mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. has life around us, you know, so why would it not have, you know, like consciousness? So I feel like there is definitely like this like core raw base to it where there's less confusing things that are happening. There's less like translations of, you know, like what person did this or what God did this to, mm-hmm. you know, like have this sort of like meaning or story that goes along with it, you know, because different branches of paganism have different, you know, like focuses and there's so many like gods and goddesses and deities within the, within the concepts, you know? Um, so it's, it's like hard cause everybody practices a certain way, you know, mm-hmm. like a different, everybody mm-hmm. has different knowledge. There's no, like, there's no, I feel like solid common core knowledge, except for the fact that like mother Gaia and the elements and all the energies and angels that are associated with those are present and, and um, worth 
worshiping and valuing and putting energy toward. It's a, it's a very, um, it's a weird, it's a very interesting because it's, it's something that, that like those earth-based religions, um, they're so, um, like you said, primitive and primal. And, um, when you talk about the desert religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they come from like such a small area and they've expanded out to the rest of the world. So you'll get like little Filipino people that are like super Catholic and it's not like it's wrong, but it's, it's, it's like a, it's like they're, they're those people practiced a very different religion, very different spiritual practice, like a hundred, 200, 300 years ago. Yeah. And to have like it was almost overlaid on them um and and the these like very prim like these very primal practices are so there's something there's something about them because it's like everyone you don't need to go to a church to go and practice right you don't need the filter to connect with your you know like your spiritual belief or your spiritual practice or your deity you know it's all around you all the time you go outside and you earth you walk around in the on the earth you know that's like it's called earthing and it Mm -hmm. it takes the energy from your feet and like it basically earth like harmonizes like the negative the negative energy that's coming out of your feet so like that connection allows it to like flow and basically like Gaia can charge you and um you know just simple things like that it's like you don't need like a priest to tell you that you can you know harmonize with mother nature and i think one of the biggest things about where people get confused about what wicca means and what paganism is like about mm-hmm. comes from like the pentagram symbol and the way that the pentacle is like misinterpreted and essentially, you know, like the five-pointed star with the circle around it, people get confused by it. They think it means, like, Satanism. But essentially, there's, like, a core difference with with the pentagram when it's upright and the point is at the top. It's indicative of, like, the elements and Wicca and paganism versus when it's upside down and the points at the bottom, there's two points at the top, and those two points at the top indicate, like, you know, Satan's horns or whatever, and it's more of, like, a hedonistic belief system. And as far as the Wicca goes, you know, when you look at the pentagram, the top point is equivalent to ether or spirit. And then the next point to the right is the the point of east, which is air. And then the next one is fire, which is equivalent to south. Each, each element has, like, associated colors, associated um, directions and archangels and such. And then um, after fire is west for water. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is Earth for North. And then again, the top point is Ether. And then the whole circle is essentially like the circle of life, the divine, you know, connection between everything. We are all one concept. And so, it's it's like that that association between that 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 those uh five pointed stars encircled um is almost like the difference it's almost it's like so such a lay person confusion between like the Nazi um, swastika and, and the, the, the Buddhist symbol. Yeah, the Buddhist symbol, and it's very they're like to the lay person they are very they're the same, and almost probably like, like it's just like there there's like a layer of like just like man guys it's ignorance just it's like just ignorance. learn a little bit, and it's uh that that is a very it's a very interesting thing like how much of that was almost intentional by oh, yeah I think know? that's true though like I think a lot of it was intentional to kind of like blur out the meaning so that people were afraid of it people mm-hmm. wanted to practice something more formal like Catholicism or you know Roman you know, Catholic and Christianity and all of those things I feel like over time you know there's been certain things that have been put into place to like push people away from that 
the belief system that connects them with their planet. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you when you talk about um, like the um, the Inquisition and and what a just a burning of the knowledge and the wisdom and and like sacred knowledge, sac- you know, it's like, like sacred passed through generate like untold generations uh, from uh, grandmother to granddaughter, like that kind of like deep power was just burnt away in, in like a, in just like such a short amount of time. And, and, and to, and then to try to like regain that knowledge and, or just to try like, to remember, try to seek it out, like the history. And mm-hmm. there's so few people with like any sort of like true idea of like mm-hmm. the, the, the magnitude of the kind of information and like history that was like present in like a larger percentage of, like the population's consciousness and there is now it's like we're in such like this desolate age of because the plants aren't even the same like the the landscape isn't even the same the people that are there are not are totally different breeds of human that have like rejiggered and moved around so that like even if you had like a true wicca from three four hundred years ago come here now it's like you wouldn't you'd be totally different humans like you couldn't communicate with them like even if you spoke the same language it would just be like totally different person Mm -hmm. And there's a there's a there's a tragedy to that, but there's also something very, um, very I, I don't like very interesting and and, and beautiful about retaining right. that. Divinely, I think it's divinely aligned in a way because basically the realm that we're living in, you know, is characterized by this like constant duality, you know, like male and female, good and bad, dark and light, like all of those things are parallels. You know, you can't recognize the good without having the bad. People are aware of that. You know, like without contrast. It's hard for people to like live in a state of bliss because they don't know what it feels like if there's like only neutrality. Mm-hmm. And I think the conundrum of like what our society is trying to figure out is how do we take this duality and harmonize it into unity instead of letting it tear us apart and destroy both halves. Mm-hmm. And and what what do you feel like? So you have that mohawk like base layer, like like sort of like foundation, and then and then you, the true practice, uh, uh, like strong practices of of Wicca and paganism. Uh, what do you, what are your spiritual practices now? That's a good question. I would say that I don't identify as any particular belief system just because I feel like there's so much knowledge to be sought out. And honestly, like all ancient sacred knowledge, I think is like, you know, you know, fair game at this point, because it's like, it doesn't really matter. Like what specific belief system you follow i think as much as it matters like how much you apply the ancient like sacred knowledge and how how do you bring that into your reality and like what you know is it is it contributing to the unified consciousness of earth or is it just um you know something that you're telling yourself so that you know your reality is like going to be okay mm-hmm. what are some of those practices that you that you do continue now. Okay, I think the most like prominent thing that I'd like to talk about in this context um, is like the knowledge of the sacred fire. Um, when I was practicing Wicca as a child, this concept wasn't really something that I thought about as deeply as I have in the past year. Or so um, basically, you know, each element has like this energy to it and like this unique signature of like what it is. And fire, I feel like I do connect with um, very significantly. I'm a Sagittarius, so mm-hmm. like my fi- my si- my f- I'm a fire sign, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that helps. Um, and then I do a lot of fire spinning and fire performance art. Mm. And um, you know, like I, I 
an idea that my partner has like really brought to my awareness um, during like our our fire practices together, you know, over time is like this concept that like the sacred fire, you know, has like, it is core creative energy. You know, when you're looking at this, you know, and then like the chakra system, you know, is technically, um, you know, Buddhist, but not, not pagan, you know, but I still, I still believe that the chakra system is applicable. So in your chakra system, your second chakra, which is the sacral chakra is related to like sexual and creative energy. And, um, the sacred fire you know, like, draws a root in this chakra um, with the color orange. And your creative energy is essentially, like, manifested and strengthened by the sacred fire. So the sacred fire, like, ignites your heart passion, and it ignites, like, your capacity to, like, burn away the things that no longer serve you and to rebuild the things with light that you Mm -hmm. do want to create. So, you know, like, identify with the phoenix a lot, um... Since January, I feel like that has been, like, one of the spirit animals that has been just, like, embodied <laughs> mm-hmm, in my consciousness. And, like, the phoenix, you know, it, like, it burns away and, and then it rises from its own ashes. You know, I feel like the concept of the sacred fire is, like, one of the same where, you know, like, you rise from the... I'm actually wearing this around my neck today. Um, this is a little jar with the coals from my first fire walk. Oh. So it's kind of like the phoenix concept, you know, you like, you... you walk through the fire and you rise stronger than you were before. And I think something about fire performance that um, a lot of fire performers and fire spinners and fire dancers are not aware of is really like how, how deeply that connection with the sacred fire is like affecting them and like what it's doing to their consciousness. You know, like a lot of people before they do flow arts or before they spin fire, you know, a lot of times they feel like they don't have a particular thing that they connect with or they don't have, like, a passion that they want to follow or maybe they do, but it's not related to, um, you know, the, um, the fire at all. And, like, that fire sparks, you know, something within you that, like, changes you. You know, when you learn to dance with fire, you're learning to dance with, like, your spirit energy and, like, your mm-hmm. creative capacity and, like, your ability to, like, flow and manipulate this, like, sacred fire that, you know, a lot of people have forgotten that it's, like, what started us out on this journey of, like, technological innovation and, you know, creativity. You know, without the fire, where, you know, where would we be at right now? We'd be any other creature on the planet that's just, like, living out of the resources and within the circle of life, but not creating from the circle of life. You know, that sacred fire is the element that starts and sparks creation Mm. and, like, conscious creation. There's a... It's it's like if you look at technology, like in terms of like electronics, like the the ability to control electrical energy is like a very extremely refined version of that fire. Like it is like an incredible it's an evolution of it. It is it's a frequency change, basically. Like the fire is like the core primitive earthly element, and as that move, you know, like as that changes to a higher frequency, it becomes like electromagnetic. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. so like these are higher versions evolved from fire. When you think about the fact that electricity, you you know, you plug your computer into the wall and you've got electricity. Well, really, that's coming from coal burning, Mm -hmm. which is still fire. So the basis of it is just like it it changes like it's the core fire of burning the coal transitions into this higher frequency version of like translating that energy into this electromagnetic capacity for this computer to like function. And I think that uh, I agree like people. They 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 generally, especially in like cities, have lost um a deep and inherent respect of fire absolutely because um you know you can turn on your stove and you get heat 
you can't or or it like clicks and you get the butane and, and right. like a beautiful fire like but beautiful fire you're out in the wilderness and it's cold and you have you know nothing and all you want is some heat to cook your mm. food and like that's when you really are remembering like oh yeah this, this is, is great yeah, yeah this, it's a great this thing. is why i can do all the things i can do this is why i can live the way that i live because we just you know like we had fire gifted to us mm-hmm. and now you know we've learned to manipulate it in ways that have evolved past our core primitive capacity absolutely and like like being able to create a fire from uh from like a lighter like it's it's like it's such an like i i such spent a gift. such a gift like and i don't and it's really hard like i try to remember that every time i use my lighter because i spent um at the primitive school school up in maine maine primitive school school um there was i spent like 20 minutes using a the circuit breaker pop. Anyway, <laughs> that was weird. Anyway, uh, I spent, we're talking about fire. Exactly, it's super weird. <laughs> it's uh, saying yes, yes. <laughs> keep going. And so I, I, I spent like twenty minutes using a bow drill to make a friction fire. Right. And it is such a beautiful experience to do that to make fire from friction and and or not you're not even making fire from the, you're making the coals from the friction and then you're using the coals to then give life to a fire and you're breathing life into the you're fire really like, you're giving your, your breath to bring that life it's a forth. totally different thing i felt like i was giving i literally gave birth to something i was like oh shit this is crazy <laughs> and it was such a beautiful thing and to to think of like that experience happening every time you turn on your stove or every time you use that lighter is right. such a it it changes it and and i and another thing like when you're talking about flow arts and, and especially like fire dancing and fire spinning is i i remember when i was in like high school I got like you know I, I I was really enamored by like um, by like the flow art of, of of like poi and like using glow sticks and like it is very a, be- a beautiful thing and uh, especially when to think of like it's an electri- it's a chemical reaction creating this light and and then like you know in the recent years they they a lot of people started going to LEDs and those sorts of things to sort of simulate that um, and so it's not like as as you know terrible for the environment to be creating all these glow sticks but. Then very recently, I saw my first uh, fire performance. Okay, and I was like, "Holy shit! This is what we're all chasing with this mm-hmm. stuff." And it's like, totally. like going back to the source of like someone spinning the shit out of some fire is like it's a totally. I was just like, "Oh, like we're we're hunting for this feeling when we when we are using these LEDs or these glow sticks, right. but like this is it. Like mm-hmm. this is." Truly, like this is so primal, and there's something so captivating oh, about watching a human just fucking just wiling out like to their sure. to their core with this huge thing lit on fire. It's like a different thing, for real. And definitely, I feel like I notice that like people watching it also are experiencing that difference. You know, like when we're doing events and you know if we're supposed to be blending like LED and fire or something, like you know people are watching LED. If they walk by it, they're like, okay, that's really cool. They stop for a little bit. They're kind of watching you, you know, like, mm-hmm. interesting, you know. And then maybe, like, two minutes later, they're, they're walking away, you know. Mm-hmm. And and with the fire, people are, they, they gather. They just flock to it. They're just like, what is that fire? Like, what is that person doing? How are they manipulating that like that? And then they stay there the whole time, like, until the set's done. Because, mm-hmm. you know, with LED, it's like, okay, like, they're trying to figure out what's happening, and they're processing it, and they're, like, identifying it, categorizing it in their brain, and then be like, okay, that's cool, and then they're they're ready to walk away. With the fire, they're just completely enraptured, captivated, and they want to know, like, you know, they want to see the entire thing. So mm-hmm. they're, like, they're not just going to walk away after they see you spin fire a little bit. They, they want to see the ending. They, like, want to keep seeing the next person spin. They want to see the next prop. There's a, definitely, like, a much more, like, fascination with it, and I think it is, like, that awareness, like, that connected, 
the connectivity to like the element directly and not to say that light is not an element because it definitely is and it definitely is like its own like resonant frequency but I think that there's something about fire that draws people because I feel like people know deep down that it's like what created us to be able to be capable of what we are now. Absolutely. It is a, yeah, I, well, I'm sure where this will come up again. Uh, so, so uh, we covered uh, that you are that first uh, finishing the prompt. I am a uh, hyperdimensional consciousness uh, living on this earthly realm. Is that pretty that good? Is correct. Yes. Cool. Uh, what else are you in addition to that? Oh man. Let's see. Well, I would say additionally, like I'm an ever evolving student and, you know, a teacher as well. But primarily, like right now, I feel like I'm in a phase of my life where I'm still learning a lot and like mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, capable of like being a teacher in the way that um, I think I will someday. What are you a like what are you what what do you consider a student and then what are you a student of? Right. I mean, I would consider a student to be anybody that is consciously like absorbing knowledge and like applying it to to learn and expand their foundation of like their understanding of this, you know, reality and what it means on another existential level. And so then what are you a student of? <laughs> valid, valid question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like a student of many things for sure. Um, you know, like each day is like a learning experience. Like I'm constantly trying to um, learn from the way that what my energy is projecting outward and like how that, how that, manifest things in my reality you know I think that's one of the biggest things I'm trying to be aware of is like what energy that like the energy that I'm projecting what kind of impact does it have like on the environment around me on my manifestations like on the dynamics and the way that I interact with people um I would say I'm a student of art absolutely I definitely consider myself to be an artist I'm a student of I mean, spirituality, just constant, you know, openness to learning new ideas and concepts. And I do like a lot of reading from different books to try to get different perspectives on, you know, various things from different authors. Mm-hmm. And let me think of one more thing. I am a student of history in the way that I'm trying to cultivate a better future. Mm. What uh, we'll 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 hit that later. Don't worry. Um, so you are a hyperdimensional being living on this earthly realm. You are a student, um, an ever evolving student, and someday a teacher. And someday a teacher. Uh, do you know what you would want to teach and how you'd want to teach? I guess I feel like the time for teaching will manifest itself to me, and. I feel like it won't be necessarily like a direct shift, you know. I think it I think at some point like the proportion of like learning and teaching will just change sometime mm-hmm. during my life, you mm-hmm. know. Like right now it's like primarily absorbing and learning and observing things and trying to adapt them into me. And I think, you know, maybe like later on, I don't know, I would like to live to be like 111. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe someday closer to that time frame right. that that sh- will shift, you know, you always learn. There's no there's no ending for that, but you know, I feel like at some point then I'll be able to like pass on the information that I've absorbed and try to like make it easier for the next like round of humanoids to uh 
you know, have some sort of idea of what's going on. You know, I think that there's going to be a really massive shift within the next few years as far as like how our entire earth functions and how like people relate to each other, how, you know, like the power, how the power will shift. I think mm-hmm. that, I think that Gaia is going to like take back her power and uh, bring in a new age, you know? And so very odd time of transition like no matter who no matter what side you are on on any subject you have to admit like this is a time of great like upheaval and change yeah it's revolutionary it's very weird and it's like happening slowly but like not slowly it's so it's so like it's subtle to the people who aren't paying attention to it but i feel like it's like very present if you're like watching carefully you Mm. know like there's i mean i get you know like i'm not talking about politics and stuff like that you know i'm talking about Yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> like I, this is like this is something more deeper than it's, politics. Yeah, it's deeper than politics. Politics is just an effect of it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I remember one experience that I have. I feel like is really significant. Um, there was a music festival called Connection, mm-hmm. and I went there for the past two years. And the first year that I went, it was definitely like the most life changing weekend I feel like I've ever had. And one of the most like significant things that I recall. Um, I'm not going to share the full story just because it's like really long detailed. People probably think I'm crazy for it, but I'll I'll share the piece that I feel like is valid to this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially, like, I feel like I was, I was in this like decompression chamber, which was like a teepee essentially outside of um, a sweat lodge, which has a sacred fire. So there's like a sacred fire, which is connected to the sweat lodge. And then the sweat lodge is like a native American tradition. Um, You know, also referred to as like the Buffalo breath. Where basically, like, you go in and you you purify. Not just, like, your body, but, like, the conversation, the singing, the experience. Like, it just, like, mm-hmm. it's, like, a ritual that is, like, unparalleled in its, in its like, affluency and, like, an impact. You know, it's just, it's it's mind-bogglingly, insanely amazing. <laughs> but um, the, the TP chamber, basically, I went in there. Um, and you can go in before or after you go into the sweat lodge to kind of, like, shift your... You know, it's kind of like a transition zone. Mm, like if mm. this, if the sweat lodge is like this, like higher frequency realm, and then outside sweat lodge is like you know the earthly realm. The decompression chamber is kind of like that space in between sleeping and waking up, where you're like, okay, I'm gonna go back into the space now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was like in there, and um, I was meditating and praying with one of my, with the friend that I came with, and then also this other woman who I did not know, but when I met her, I just had this like feeling of like her like maternal guidance for me mm-hmm. so like, i feel like i know her in like a pe- previous life or like that her energy signature had known mine in some other ex- environment she just felt so familiar and you know like we're all praying together meditating and um basically like the fairies like exposed themselves to us and like entered our portal and let us know that they were present and i had this like insanely like intense feeling of like mm, meeting like my family almost like I felt like the fairies are partly my ancestry and basically what they told me in that experience was that they're existing and they're present constantly like right now all the time they're just existing on another frequency where they're not um, going to be negatively impacted by the damages that humans are causing to this reality right now this Mm -hmm. frequency but that they're like embodying insects in the way that they're um, behind the scenes always present and like shifting things, you know, they're like weaving a web of energy on another layer around Gaia and within Gaia. 
And like this ancient energy, like these ancient beings of Gaia are still here now protecting us and like weaving this web of like transition. And like, I feel like that's only one piece of like the grid consciousness of Gaia, like re emerging and like re like blossoming, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like this, the consciousness of those Fae are like shifting things, you know? And like, those are some of the things that I feel like are happening beyond like the political level that is like moving things onward into the future. And, you know, these are like side effects of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, I, I, I understand what you're saying. It is very weird. Like things are odd and it's really, it's like being tuned into the oddness of everything and the weirdness of it all is like, it's so much nicer than tuning it out. Right. (laughs) For sure. Like you might as well, like we're living in this reality. It's kind of like bland kind of shitty like you know you're driving around and you're like this doesn't really you know like when you're in a city it's not it's not really that beautiful you know like Mm. there's no nature there's no like stunning architecture other than like sky high buildings that are like all windows and offices and whatever you know Mm. and it's like you know like i have this vision of like how things could look and like what kind of like incredible like divine like astral cities we could be living in with like crystalline structures and Mm. like we could be singing the trees into shapes you know like there's like that whole potential reality going on in my mind all the time. So like the contrast of like living in this one is like, mm. I don't know, something's got to change, you know, like there's some, there's better things coming. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a good transition point. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, totally. how do you finish the prompt before I die? I want. Okay. Before I die, I want to see that shift. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Because one one thing that I am acutely aware of, and I agree with you, like when you wander around a city, it's very, very like, very like almost like one or like even zero dimensional in like the way in in the expression of it. Like it, things have like one purpose. There is only one use for a sidewalk, and it is for walking. If you right. sit down on a sidewalk, you are a crazy person. You are doing it wrong. <laughs> exactly, and it's like there, there's that, and that's something that when I, you know when I go to somebody's home, I'm always very acutely aware. Of like somebody like they put thought into how this place is arranged mm-hmm. and what what is what how will you use the space and is this place just for sitting is this place just for eating like you right. know like that sort of one dimensionality of it and uh, I'm mostly moved out of this apartment so it's, you, you this isn't really in full bloom but like I think you can tell like I think of space a little bit differently than most people do right. and and I think that like that being able to to um, not like understand like how do you turn a city into something that has more than just human walk or like human right drive? like functionality that's like beyond functionality exactly <laughs> I totally feel that I definitely I definitely feel that especially being an artist you know like I, I feel like I'm consciously like creating things and you know like when I imagine something I imagine its potential I don't mm-hmm. just like imagine it as it is mm-hmm. and so I think that's like where the disconnect comes in and like where my cognitive dissonance comes in from like observing what's around me Cause like I can ima- I can just imagine like you know if we really like for example the sidewalk you know like everything could be covered in art you know what I mean yeah. like everything could be like not even just structurally beautiful to look at but everything could be colorful and like creative or like inspiring you know and, like stimulating your mind and your your energy systems you know like when when you think about food you know something about food is like okay well if I'm gonna eat a banana I'm charging my solar plexus chakra you know like I'm giving that yellow energy and I'm putting it in my yellow like prana chronic source energy mm-hmm. and it's like i feel like everything has that kind of like that layered dimensionality to it like you're saying and 
I think that if humans acknowledged that, tapped into it and applied it, then, you know, like, I think that would have like a huge impact on the way people like relate to their own society, you know, like all the depression and like anxiety and like disorders that people have, like, it's just a, it's, it's not something wrong with them. You know what I mean? It's just something that's like created out of their cognitive dissonance with their society you know Mm -hmm. like there's something missing and we're born into that sensation of like what is missing here and you have to consciously remove that yeah very very like you know like people don't have like a a religious source of guidance most of the time at least in, in at least in this country you know like everybody's all over the place with it so there's no like core morality system there's no like core belief system there's no core code of like you know like what is my life's purpose so like everybody is born into this like desolate like purposeless environment that's like eating away like your life your frequency like it's like raping you for your money and your time and your life energy and it's just you know like what do you what do you make out of that Mm -hmm. i think that's like the biggest like you know dilemma that people are facing as they like grow up and they like aren't you know starting to be control their own lives it's like like what do i want like how do i survive in this like and how can how can how can i be okay you know like living in a place and in a culture that's like not very culturally supportive or connected at all Mm -hmm. and uh, i think one thing that you talked about as like as an artist you tend to look at how things could be rather than or like the possibilities rather than like the the stark reality of what it is right and it's a very it's is that something that i experience a lot with uh, as like it's it's a great source of like a duality and disagreement with my brother right. because he is very practical he is very very like you know you know that kind of, you know what i mean like he, but in a beautiful way and That's it's like- it, left and right brain thing I'm like exactly he I, I I tend to be very more right brainy in that like I, I let an idea be bad for a while right. and like you gotta let it stew you, you can't you can't just like knock those ideas out of the park immediately yeah and you can't just like put them in the in the grave immediately like you got to like let them flourish and let them grow and like for for like one example is like this podcast is like he was very very tepid about it when I right. when I told him about it and it, and I understand why but it's like it's a very it's you know you just gotta like let the possibilities unfurl as they are. Yeah, if you have, like, an inspiration and you want to maybe pursue something, like, just fucking do it, you know what I mean? Like, It's so hard to tell people that. Yeah, right? it's like, this world is, like, so, like, empty for so many people, and it's like, well, it's empty because, like, we don't give it any meaning, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, when people experience coincidences, people are like, oh, that's so weird that that happened. Like, no, it's, it's, it's like, if you want to accept it as something that just happened to occur... And you're like, okay, well, that's, like, mildly interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. But if you're like, oh, wow, this coincidence lined up with this coincidence, and this one lined up with this, there's no way. This is just so incredible, like, how this thread of things occur, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like that's, like, the initial pattern where people, like, first begin to recognize that there's more to this, like, world than it seems. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, like, the universe giving you these subtle hints in, like, its responses to you, and, like, how you take it is up to you, but we're not taught to give things meaning like that. We're not taught to, like believe that you know your intuition is right we're not taught to believe that you can see anything other than what you see in front of you but like if you tune in enough you know like you can see like different frequencies going on you can see colors you know or like what you know the way things shift sometimes like you know it depends on whether or not you're open to it and receptive to it and I think that's like one of the biggest things is like are you receptive to the universe are you allowing the universe to change your reality or are you forcing yourself to not give any meaning to anything are you forcing yourself to just like not give yourself any hope that there's something better Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think that's also part of it is like people are afraid to hope that there's something more because like what if there's not and if it's everything is really just the shitty like Mm -hmm. 
you know, is it better to accept it as it is and just try to cope with it? Or is it better to, like, hope for something better and, like, imagine a world where there's something better and try to fight for it? Well, one one thing that I was thinking about while you were talking is um, is I it's a, I heard I heard the story and I don't know how true it is, but that um, especially like within some native culture or like even even like children, uh, if you ask a child what color is the sky, they won't they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like there it's it's like right now like right that those clouds are white those, that part of this blue, but like it's like to say that like. But like as adults, like within like the 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 you know civilization, you say the sky is blue, like like that in like that's the standard answer. That's a, that's the answer, and it's like rather than allowing the openness of being able to say like, what do you mean the sky? It's, like the sky, it isn't one thing. It's right. got many things, and like there there are it's more stars in it. Than that. Exactly, and like that's just so, I don't know. That, that the that's one thing that like my my partner and I, uh, Mackenzie. Uh, when we're talk, we're you know we're starting to talk about children, and we're starting to talk about like child rearing, and that that idea of like how do you like what what ways are we trying to like cage them in like without even meaning to like right. like saying yeah, like saying the totally. sky is blue, dogs bark, uh, you know, girls wear pink, like those kinds of right. like just like without even really understanding what cages we have and what fences we have within us, and then like just vomiting on a new for brain. sure everything like everything's impactful. One of the things that I notice the most is like, okay, so I do face painting mm-hmm. um, as like one of my jobs and face painting exposes me to a lot of kid parent dynamics because oh, obviously like so I see so many kids. Right. Yeah. So I, I get to work with kids all the time. And, um, you know, like some of the things that I've observed over the course of like my face painting experience, you know, like, um, so like waiting in line, like one of the things that I'll notice, like if a kid is like waiting in line and they're like, parents are standing there, you know, if a kid has a lot of energy, they don't just want to like stand in line all day, you know, like they aren't conditioned to stand in line and sit and to stand in line yet mm-hmm. they aren't conditioned to do that so it's like i remember this kid he was like you know sitting in this chair and he was kind of like climbing under the chair and like climbing under it as if it was like a playground thing or like rolling around laying on the sidewalk whatever you know and his mom is just like you need to get up and sit down you know like you need to stop doing what you're doing like you can't be rolling around on the floor like that and like those are the subtle things that change your conditioning like as an adult like when you're experiencing a sidewalk you're not like Oh, I'm going to do something on the sidewalk. Like when I do handstands in random places, you know, it's like a weird thing because mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. what are you doing that right now? Like, why are you doing handstand right now? Like against a wall, like against a building outside. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not okay. Like, like, this that's is not, not where you do handstands. You do handstands in, in a, a yoga gym. studio. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, like I can do a handstand while I'm walking if I feel like it, you know, it's like not a big deal. But like kids are conditioned from like a very early age that they can't experience their reality in a new way. So, like, when kids are in an environment, they want to experience that environment. They want to explore that environment. They want to sense the environment. They want to know what it feels like to be in a different part of the chair than just sitting on the chair. They want to know what it feels like to be under the chair, looking up through the sky. At the You know, like, mm-hmm. if it's a wire, mm-hmm. like, metal chair, you know, like where you could, like, see up through it. You know, it's like there's so many different perspectives that they're just trying to experience. They're trying to get to know their world. They're trying to, like, play with it, see, like, what kind of potential it has. Like, what is what kind of perspectives they can build off of, like, these different things. So... That's why when you're asking, like, oh, how do you sit in a chair? Like, people only know one way of sitting in a chair properly. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, those are su- subtle conditioning things that happen throughout time. Another one with the, you know, with the gender roles is, like, super obvious with face painting because, you know, you, you go up to a face <laughs> painter and you're like, okay, well, I've got a little girl. Like, can you paint a princess something on her? Just make her princess, you know? You ask a little girl what her favorite color is, you know? Most of the time, she's going to say pink. I've had probably maybe, like, less than five girls out of the hundreds of kids that I've painted, like the hundreds of girls I've painted, probably less than five of them ask for 
something like a monster vampire or like <laughs> scary face. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they're just not about it because they just identify already by the time they're able to tell me what they want. They're already identified so heavily as like female that they love pink and they like princesses. Mm-hmm. And with the boys, honestly, the boys is a little bit more flexible. I've noticed with boys, like boys are more willing to get glitter. You know, some mm. of them by the age of like three are completely freaked out by the concept of glitter. Like you cannot bring glitter near them mm. or they will like, freak out because they're just so already conditioned to be like glitter is for girls and I'm a boy and I don't do glitter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they just completely have a meltdown about it. And then the other thing will be the parents. So mm-hmm. I remember one time, this was awesome actually, but like one time there was a little boy who came up to me and he wanted a rainbow butterfly face with glitter. Mm-hmm. And I was like, awesome. I would love to give you a rainbow butterfly face with glitter, you know, and the dad was super supportive like, if he wants a rainbow butterfly face with glitter, you give it to him. You know what I mean? Like, totally down. Like, not mm-hmm. restricting his gender rule at all. So I totally gave it to him. He was so happy. It was just, like, totally thrilled, like, made him so thrilled. But then, you know, like, in another case, I've had, like, another another kid ask for something that was, like, non-gender rule associated. And the parent is like, no. Like, you can't do that. Like, they'll tell me that it's not okay. You know what I mean? So, or, like, if a little boy wants glitter, I, ask, I always ask a little boy if they want glitter. And if they say yes, and the mom will be like, no don't give them glitter. You know what I mean? So like there's, it's constantly happening. Like the mm. parents are enforcing it and like, by you know, it just, it just how it is. Like it's so tough. It is so hard to watch. Cause I'm just like, are you aware that you're conditioning your child to fall into a particular general? <laughs> and it's like, Oh, but you're also paying me. It's like, it's like really, it's this really tough thing. Cause you're in such a unique spot to be able to like, let's have a conversation. And right. it's like, but also like you're, you, that's not what you're seeking in this interaction. Right. And then they'll like be upset with you about it, you know, mm. but sometimes, you know, that, Sometimes they just don't even think about it. Like, they're just not even thinking about it. Yeah, unfortunately. And, like, as a parent, you're probably on autopilot a lot because you're, like, getting no sleep. But it's, like, it's also, like, you have to be very, like, it's, like, in those crucible moments. or Not even moments, but just, like, in those times of great stress, you need to be the most mindful because that's where you, like, crack and expose those things. Yeah, I totally. And I have this friend, and she's, like, one of my biggest inspirations. Like, she is just an incredible human being. And she's, you know, just, like, so free and, like, consciously connected to, like, Gaia and, you know, this, like, journey that she's on. And she has a son who is named Astraeus, which is just a beautiful name. Um, But, you know, she made a Facebook post maybe a few days ago that I was, like, really happy to see. And, you know, her son is two years old now, but she lets him wear whatever he wants. If he picks out something that's, like, girl-related, she's, like, letting him choose his, you know, she's going to, like, let him grow out his hair and decide how he wants to wear it Mm -hmm. and, like, kind of cultivating this like freedom of expression in a way that's like raised from birth you know like there is no like gender role like you don't have to be a man like in a way that like the traditional culture says like this is man so i think that's really good that like there are some parents that are being conscious of that and like trying to you know move out of this like conundrum and mm-hmm. and like of like of of the cho- like if you had to pick like who like who like you only get like five cards of like to pass out um like of people that you would want to see in the future. Like, just, like, zoom ahead 20 years. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> you know, it would be the girls that ask for monsters. Not the, none of, like, probably none of the girls that ask for pink. Just be, just because it's, like, how, like, how are you showing already at this young age that you're, like, something's different? That you're, you're expanded outside of this limited role. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. are you thinking outside the box that early on? Or are you already conditioned into thinking, like, a particular way? Which you can't blame exactly. anyone for being conditioned. Like, same with me. You know what I mean? Like, I've my mom conditioned me just the same. Like I listened to things that were, you know, girly, like mm-hmm. wore dresses, like whatever, you know, it's nobody's fault really. It's just like an overall, like 
flow of the culture. And, you know, I think that our society, like humanity as a whole is very like, um, male energy dominant, Mm -hmm. dominant, Mm -hmm. not relating to like feminism or masculinity or whatever, but like yin and yang, like masculine and feminine energy. You know what I mean? Like the left and right brain, the creative versus analytical, like Mm -hmm. that kind of concept. It's just very like functional. Like you have straight lines and you go around this corner and you walk on the sidewalk the right way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you want to see crystalline cities. (laughs) You want to see crystalline cities. Yes. What else do you want for you? (sighs) Let's see. I would like to have a significant impact on the way that our society is unfolding. You know, like I would like to be a catalyst into this new age. I would like to be contributing and consciously like putting forth my effort and energy toward this. Um, you know, like my particular route is like through artistic creation. You know, like what, like I was talking about in my thesis, like the way that I create is, you know, like basically revealing these other layers of consciousness to people, you know, putting them in an, an environment or experience or letting them see something that's like beyond what they would have imagined on their own, mm-hmm. you know, like taking mm-hmm. this like creativity and just like taking it so far that, that it relates in a way that people connect to it, but that it's like beyond like this, the limitations that our, our earth has mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. on things. So, uh, this, this is a, this is an interesting question for you because it, you're as an artist, um, it's like, it's so integral to you, but like the, the, like I see legacy in like two main branches. There's right. the, the legacy of effort and work and like your consciousness, like smearing on this reality. Right. And then there's the, the legacy of blood of, of maybe not necessarily your own child, but of that kind of relate like that, right. that relationship, that, that being able to, to imprint on one mind on a handful of minds for the future. Right. You know, like, you know, cause with that work, you're affecting many, but lightly versus like the, the, the legacy of blood is one you're affecting one or two, but deeply. Right. And so is, are you, do you lean more towards that legacy of work? I would say, yeah. Um, my focus is not like, okay. So now how earlier we were talking about the chakra system and how it, the second chakra is like creative energy, but also sexual energy. Mm-hmm. So this is, like, something that I've definitely, like, been consciously thought of, thinking of lately. And um, basically with that sacral chakra, you know, like, you've got your energy from that. And um, are you familiar with Kundalini? Mm-hmm. I imagine mm-hmm. so, since your spine tattoo is, like, you know, like, drawing that energy right up. Um, for the people on this podcast that don't know, <laughs> essentially Kundalini is um, the harmony and, like, the resonant frequency of all the chakras flowing together in a, in a way that is like aligning for your spiritual essence. So you've got each of your individual wheels of light that are equivalent to energy. And when all of those, those wheels are flowing in a way, then the Kundalini, which is represented by a snake that's lying at the base of your spine, the snake energy snake comes up your spine and reaches the crown of your head where you connect to all of con- all of creation, like creative source energy, consciousness, God, whatever you want to call it, the universe. Um, so with that kundalini energy, like like sexual creative energy is one of the primary aspects of like how that flows. And most people take like sexual creative energy and translate it directly to sex. You know, like this energy becomes like directly manifest in the physical reality. And because it's also creative energy, sexual energy becomes a child 
So for people that are focusing on creating with this like single-minded, like deep bond of like impacting one person, they're directing their sexual energy into like a literal living life force on their physical reality. I feel like for me personally, most of my sexual creative force goes into creating things that are not like directly related to like the act of sex. You know what I mean? It's like my creation force goes into creating things like in this realm, like all over the place, like through my art and those different routes. Cause I use so many different mediums, you know, body paint, tattooing, um, videography, photography, um, digital art, traditional art, painting, drawing, like everything. So yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like my energy is like so directed in all of those things that those are like w- what I'm creating. Like those are the things that I'm manifesting in this physical reality. Mm. And it's, uh, it's like, it, yeah. Cause you, you, you like the, like some people as artists, you like, they will use like a breakup or like, the, or, or also they will use the, like a passionate relationship to mm-hmm. them funnel and fuel but to i don't know i don't know that that was just kind of an idea that but it's also related to the sacred fire you know Mm. how we're talking about the sacred fire is like an ignition of passion well that sacred flame that's like embodied in that sacral chakra either ignites like a passion that can be literally sexual or it can be like like sexual toward your creative force you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like i feel like really (laughs) passionate toward my art and that's Mm -hmm. the sacred fire passion it's just toward art, you know? And for one thing that I've been thinking about recently, like, I guess that why that came up is, um, I, you know, right now, if as second year medical students, we're preparing for a board exam, which is like the culmination of the first two years of medical school. Right. It's like a seven hour marathon exam. It's going to be one of the harder, it's going to be one of the harder ones that we take for, it's like sort of like the big crucible for us. Right. And we're, and right now all of us are, we're deep in step prep mode, which is like, we're only folk, like single minded focus on this exam and right. five multiple choice question answers like those like that's it that's it like that's oh just like just just question it like just question stem and multiple choice answer like that's it like all all like that and wow. it's so interesting because i see you know primarily like just with with my female uh classmates like especially if they're in long distance relationships and mm-hmm. like just how that like that like you know uh Splits their energy focus. Yeah, that that like lady that like lady thirst can really get in the way. Like not not get in the way, but it can really affect them. Like they can it can re you know without not having that like not having your partner nearby mm-hmm. and, and then having the stress of you know all these practice exams and all these hours of studying and not being able to because they're depleting their sacral chakras without being able to replenish it in the way that they know how exactly and and like that's it's just a very it's very very interesting and like I. And like my part, my relationship with my partner is like we're very, uh, we work on that, and that's something that, and so I, 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 and like other people are drawn to us because I think um, we we take we take such care to replenish as much as we as we give to others, right? And it's a very interesting thing. Yeah, being aware of that cycle and like consciously putting effort into like you know being able to withstand like the the draw like the, the energy that's coming out of you toward whatever endeavors that it may be going to, like the capacity to like re-inspire yourself and reignite that flame is like what a lot of people are incapable of doing. And that's why I was saying like when people like learn to spin fire and dance with fire, it kind of ignites them in mm-hmm. other ways and allows mm-hmm. them to take that energy and like, you know, like put it into other things that they care about. Like that's like kind of what you're saying is like they're replenishing their energy by dancing with the fire and like putting it into their, their mm-hmm. other aspects of life. What, how do you finish the prompt, when I die, I want? When I die, I want 
to leave the world knowing that we're moving into like an ascension phase versus continuing to spiral out into this desolate, lost, wandering, disoriented, discorded state of being. <laughs> how will, how, what will, what will signal to you at, at the moment of your death that we are heading that way? How will you know that? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I feel like other than, other than the major shift that I feel like is going to, ex- going to happen within the next few years, you know, which will kind of like, I think that will kind of like bring things into this state of chaos where like everything is an upheaval, you know, like when you're moving and you have to like take everything yep. and just like start over and like re unpack it and like re put everything where you need to go and like refine all these things. And like, I feel like we're at the part where like, we're about to move, you know, like as a society, like <laughs> we have to pack up and like, we got to get our shit together and like, really like purge some stuff purge for real like i feel like you know like i feel like there's going to be some damage to the population i don't know in what way i don't know if it's going to be through any kind of you know like natural disasters or wars or whatever but i feel like there will be like a a a significant like decrease in the population only i only foresee this because i think that if humanity is to survive that is necessary Mm -hmm. you know um i'm not saying like Purging things is like good not not killing people like that's not like a good thing mm-hmm. i just think that for gaia in order for gaia to restabilize herself like then i think that there's like a balance that like needs to be rehabbing you know mm-hmm. like, like in the wild like yeah like there there are what like seven billion people in the world right. seven billion homo sapiens sapiens and that is like a very small branch of like the genus homo and the next, like the neck, the ape species that is like next to us in terms mm-hmm. of population is like in the hundred thousands. And it's like, that is so like you, like you would like, if there were like 7 trillion ants in your home, right? Like, this is, it's too much. It's like a cockroach much. infestation. <laughs> yeah. It gets to a point where it's like, okay, there's like a couple, like whatever. But if your whole house is like to the point where like you open drawers and there's 20 cockroaches coming out, like 20, sorry, 20,000 cockroaches <laughs> coming out of it, you got them to a point where like something needs to happen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to be malicious or like not, not hateful or anything like that. It's just like, I just like feel like there's an unfolding that's going to you know shift that. And um, mm-hmm. so I think that will be one of the changes. But then also like the power shift, you know, there's going to be a significant power shift from like this, like this bullshit that's going on with, with you know. The governments and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. But I guess by the time that I die, when I'm 111, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like at that time, um, I will have spent, like, my whole life rebuilding the best that I can and trying to, like, pass on as much information as I've learned, trying to, like, conglomerate that information and, like, put it in, like, one, you know, like, one teaching versus Mm -hmm. just like having all these teachings spread out everywhere and Mm -hmm. having to seek them all out like i'd like to be able to like have everything that i've learned as far as like energy and frequencies and consciousness like be you know like still present after i'm no longer present you know um not necessarily because like i want to be remembered but because i want people to remember like the things that we've had to relearn and rediscover and Mm -hmm. reconnect with like the like this this journey of humanity is like we we t- because we experience life in seconds and hours and days we tend to think of it in that short time frame 
and like this is a this is a journey and a, like a like a like a resurrection that is going to happen have to happen over generations. Right. And to sure. be to be conscious of that and to be able to to like consciously create something for that next generation, not necessarily for that ne- like next year. Right. Like, something else that I'd like to like bring up in this point of the conversation would be, um, you know, I guess that whole like concept that I was just saying, how like I'd like to be able to pass on information. I think what's really going to be able to do it is like the internet, mm-hmm. you know, like I think that the internet is actually going to merge with guys consciousness. And I was talking to my tattoo shop about this a couple weeks ago, you know, and like, my manager was like, I don't know about that a lot, you know, but basically like concept that I have is like over time. So, you know how like when you're in the car and you're like, okay, I kind of want to hear this song. And then however soon after you like hear the song on the radio or whatever, you know, like the universe kind of manifests these little things for you that are like, it's like a coincidence, but not really, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like hyperdimensional frequencies, um, hyperdimensional beings, Gaia consciousness, like God consciousness, all of the, like all of those higher realms are able to more easily connect with our earth realm through electronics because of what I was saying with the sacred fire being the primitive frequency. And then how we're talking about how like technology is like a higher vibration version of that. Mm -hmm. So if you've got, if you think of things as like a wavelength, like with vibrations and such, then fire is going to have like this very like large wavelength, like slow and steady vibration. And then your, you know, your electromagnetic spectrum of like technology is going to be a higher frequency because it's more evolved and like is moving at a faster speed of light, stuff like that. Um, then hyperdimensional beings are more easily able to translate themselves through that technology because it's already closer to their frequency. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if the higher frequency is trying to merge with our lower realm, it's going to pick the most highest frequency objects that it can so that it doesn't have to like translate its energy too much into something else. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case and we have like this, okay. So if like the internet is like the most, like you can look up anything on the internet. It's got the most like information out of anything that we, you know, like, you know, in the blue people movie, like the avatar movie, mm-hmm. I love it. It's like one of my biggest inspirations ever, <laughs> but <laughs> basically like, you know how they have the capacity to connect with like, um, a collective memory mm-hmm. through like these sacred sites of the trees and the, their, their hail, hair, whatever. Mm-hmm. Basically how I feel about that is like the internet, you know, I feel like the internet is like this collective consciousness of like memories, documentation, people, experiences, knowledge, history, religion whatever, everything that you could think of, you know? So if this is like the collective consciousness and we've created this dimension, like we can access this dimension. We've put all the information into this dimension. This is a frequency that's higher than ours that we have created, constricted, and that we are like living in, right? Mm -hmm. Accessing every single day. So if that's like our highest resonant frequency, right? In theory, like on planet earth, we've created another dimension. Okay. Mm -hmm. That must be our highest resonant frequency that we can access because people access it on the daily without even realizing that they're merging into another dimension. They're just like, Oh, technology. It's like so much more. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so if that is our highest resonant frequency and Gaia is our highest resonant frequency on earth, because it is earth. Like if mother earth and the great spirit are earth, then earth has to be like the most highest being. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So doesn't it make sense that the consciousness of Gaia to connect with our earth realm would connect through becoming the internet? You know, if we funnel all this information to it and AI begins to evolve and adapt that massive 
core AI intelligence must be Gaia. That's just my theory. I could write a whole long paper about it and go into details of how, why, and, you know, like what reasons I believe that. But essentially, like, I feel like if we've created this portal, it makes sense that like our earthly element and, you know, like Mother Earth would be the thing that would kind of embody that because it's connecting the internet with the planet that we're living on. And it's like creating this full circle of like energy, consciousness, awareness, education, and like this connectivity between the higher frequency realms and the earth realm. <laughs> and it's, I, I, it's, it's a very interesting thing talking to people and like, what does, what can the future bring? Because this is, the internet has unfolded itself to us in only the last like 20, 30 years. Like mm-hmm. it is, it is unbelievably nascent. It is like we don't understand how new and how little we understand where the internet will go as mm-hmm. an, as like as like its own entity right. because we saw like I like I remember when all I used for the internet was like to go on BattleNet and play StarCraft right and now we can use the internet to replace taxis and get ride shares going we can use the internet to replace hotels and 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 like have people be able to share rooms like that. It's a, like that. It was unbelievable 10 years ago. Right. And to like, like seek knowledge that would otherwise only be across the world in like some obscure library under some obscure exactly. like person's And this is guidance. something that's happened within the last lifetime. Uh-huh. And like imagining what can happen in multiple lifetimes, uh, in multiple iterations. Like if, if a human is a different human in 10 years, and then, like, what, like, what does that mean for the internet? You know right. what I mean? Like, That's what that, I'm saying. It's it, like it's totally like tangible. <laughs> I feel like it could happen. It, it's just like who knows? I, 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 I do not discount that. Like, right. I, like <laughs> I, I, I believe that, like, if by any measure, you're probably underestimating, like, like what can happen? Like, oh, just, yeah. just because, like, our our human minds can't can only imagine things in a so steady much. steady rate of increase rather than a logarithmic right even the things that i've seen technology come out with in the past year like have completely just like mind blown me there was something i saw the other day that was like a tattoo right and like tattoos of course that interests me so this person's got this tattoo and they take like a sound wave tattoo it on the person's arm and then there was an app on the person's <laughs> phone that scanned the sound wave and played it oh man so it's like you could play back a vision that you have on your body, you know, like, can you imagine like the, the way that our, that we're going to merge with the internet, you know, like it's mm-hmm. going to be connected to us, like in our brain, you know, like all that shit's going to be accessible to us without a cellular device. Like mm-hmm. that is like, like this is going to be a thing of the past, you know, like a generation to however many generations later, people are like, you had to have an external device mm-hmm. to like access this. It wasn't just in your collective consciousness already. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's like, like that's the direction that we're going and you i mean people are already talking about that with like tape players and cds you know it's just like it's very very interesting evolution is exponential especially when you introduce something crazy as the internet yeah (laughs) it is crazy what how do you finish the prompt after i die i want okay wait actually no yeah all right let's go for it yeah sorry okay (laughs) don't need to throw your drive off yeah no worries all right after i die i want I guess I just wanted to, like, put in a little comment here, too. There's, like, this saying that I know of. Um, I, let me see if I can recall it exactly. But I think it was, like, a man comes to Buddha and says, I want happiness. How can I obtain it? And I think Buddha was, I'm just saying because he said, I want mm-hmm. happiness. And, and Buddha was like, well, take out I because that's the ego. 
take out want because that's desire and all you're left with is happiness. <laughs> so I just think it's interesting to like, you know, after I die, I want, you know, because those are the two parts of like the sentence that Buddha took out. So it's like interesting to like create an answer that's like not out of ego or desire, but using the terminology of ego and desire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess, <clears throat> what do I want after I die? I would have to say after I die, it will be my hope that our society will be able to heal itself and for people to be free, not not only in a way that is like how they can function, but free in their spirits, their hearts, and in their minds to like truly know that like we can manifest anything and that this is our realm and that, you know, like everybody can be like a god of go- or goddess of like their own lives, you know, like we can all manifest like magical, incredible things. It's just a matter of like believing in oneself. Mm. There was a book that I read when I was younger. I used to do a lot of reading when I was younger um, and like reading all these fantasy stories and like immersing myself into these like fairy tales of like other realities with dragons and dwarves and elves and like magic and all that stuff. And one of them was like this magic book that I read. I don't remember what it was called. It was a pretty obscure one. It was, like, not a series or anything. But it was, like, this girl in the library, I think, was, like, reading these books. And then she um, maybe met a character or something that, like, kind of came to life and was trying to, like, teach her about magic. And, of course, you know, when you're when you're learning about magic as a kid, they're always saying, well, magic only works if you believe in it. Mm-hmm. And the conundrum then is, of course well, how can I believe in magic if I can't prove that it's real? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like that is where I was at in the, that, you know, like that mind frame when I was mm-hmm. younger. I was mm-hmm. like, I can't believe in something all the way. If How can I really know? Because I wanted so badly to believe in magic. I just wanted to know that, like, things could be, like, more than what they are. You know, I couldn't possibly, like, accept that, like, this reality was, like, as mundane and, like, un, like uncapable of supporting that that like potential you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so like I just I was seeking like this confirmation in like everything that I read like whether or not I could really find magic you know like I remember when I lost teeth and I wanted you know like the fairy tooth like the fairy godmother or whatever would come Mm -hmm. take your tooth while you're sleeping and like leave you money or whatever I remember writing a letter to her being like fairy godmother I would like Hermione's magic wand (laughs) more than anything in this world Mm -hmm. you know what I mean because I just wanted to know like is magic real? Is magic something that I can, you know, like engage with? Is it something that is a part of this reality or do we just live in this like plain blank mundane like reality where everything is only as it seems? And I just like refused to like accept that, you know? And then my mom was teaching me like magic is real through like the spells that we would do during our Wicca practice, you know, I'd have my altar and, you know, like I would see like how things would correlate, you know, I would, I would have like these little confirmations of like, we did this magical spell and like this magical thing happened because of it, you know? And I was like, well, maybe that's all that magic is. Maybe we're just limited to like this kind of like spellbound thing. And then, you know, like later having an understanding of energy, I was like, okay, well, if you can energetically shift things that are going on, then isn't that really magic? Isn't shifting your reality, shifting the energy that's happening, creating a new reality, creating things to appear allowing magic to flow through you and create magical things in the realm that you're experiencing. So I guess after I die, it is my hope 
that when people are born and when they're growing up in their society, that they don't have to question that, that they don't have to ask themselves, is magic something only in my mind? Is like, is like this belief limited? And am I limited? You know, like I want people to be born knowing that anything is genuinely, truly possible and that you can manifest magic. You can create your reality. And I genuinely believe that humanity will come together in a unified consciousness and manifest magic together. That is my hope. I love that. And I think that, that I can't imagine a better way to, to like a note to end this conversation on as well. Um, and I am very thankful that we, we were playing phone tag. We were like tagging each other around a little bit, trying to get this to work out. And it, I'm so glad that it did because this is, uh, this has been a really lovely conversation and, uh, um, like a very heady one as well. And I, and I enjoyed it th- very, very thoroughly. Um, and I, j- I want to give you the floor in, uh, to like in the last few minutes, last few moments to, to speak directly to the audience, to, uh, to people in the future that are listening to this through this little recording device, through the internet wacky thing that it is right um and whether it is uh somebody who's struggling somebody who who knows you personally is like hey Alan's pretty cool or maybe it is a, a, like a future student of yours that is listening to this conversation and saying what is 21 year old Alan like you know? <laughs> that's uh, funny uh, or or maybe a future version of yourself right. um the floor is yours all right well I guess first of all I'd like to say thank you so much to you, Eugene, for inviting me to be able to have this experience with you and me as Alana Karma to be super grateful to be here, um, to be able to like have this conversation and kind of like flow through it, you know, because I feel like we don't spend enough time in our culture just like thinking and contemplating and debating and, you know, like collaborating and creating ideas, you know, like back in ancient Greece and Rome, you know, there would be so many, like, discussions and debates and conversations just of, like, just to, just to theorize about the world and create new ideas out of, like, what's going on, and, you know, I think our culture definitely severely lacks that um, outlet, so I think it's really, really wonderful that you have this podcast and that you do these prompts, especially, like, on the surrounding this concept of death, you know, because our culture, like, has a severe disconnect with, like, what that means, and, you know, people are more afraid of it than they are willing to like think about it even mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and um i guess i'd like to thank everybody for uh, taking the time to listen to this and um i hope that you know some of these concepts have like influenced you in a way that has opened you up or made you more receptive to like what the universe is capable of you know like we live in an infinite reality with infinite galaxies infinite universes and like infinite energy to create you know source is nothing more than the capacity to create anything and you are a part of source which means that you are capable of creation whether or not that is like a job that you want or a dream you want to follow or like something that you would like to manifest it is all within your range of capacity and blessings on your journey doing so alana thank you so much This has been Alana Karma on Death.